0: Welcome to the second of three bonus episodes of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm your host, Emily White, and I'm so excited to have Nomi Alicia as our guest today. Welcome, Nomi.
1: Thank you. Hi, Emily.
0: Hi. So I want to explain why I thought of this episode. Um, We're doing three bonus episodes, like I said, the other two were specific listener questions of things they wanted covered. Um, but you know, we, I, I don't, I, I obviously don't want to call this person out, but like we hired a crew member for one of our artists this year, um, that didn't work out. And it was someone that was qualified, um, you know, didn't have touring experience and they were doing a ton of overthinking. Um, and that was kind of causing some problems. And I also remember, uh, this is a little different, um, but someone saying, "Hey, I know this, you know, young woman who wants to be a tour manager. Um, can I put you in touch for advice?" And I said, "Of course." And um, and the young woman said, "Yeah, I guess I'll just suck it up for a while and do merch." Or I was like, "I love merch. Like, merch is so important." And um, and also, and I'm sure you run into this too. Like, I meet so many students that want to tour. Um, and I taught a tour management, actually, yeah, you were part of that panel. I taught a tour management workshop at Hofstra and it was like, it feels weird to say about a class, but like it was sold out. And then when I was teaching at NYU and the students found out that um, I had done that, they're like, oh my gosh, can we get that too? And my point is, I feel like touring work is something that a lot of people want to get into. And I don't think universities are taking it seriously enough. Like, I don't know if they consider it like working class or something, but like I made really good money out of college as a tour manager. So anyway, I want to help people who want to get into touring, and you are an experienced tour manager, um, so that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. So thanks thanks for being our guest.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. I wanted to tell you that I was that student that wanted to tour, uh, and I remember asking every single one of my professors being like, this is what I want to do, how can I do it? And a lot of them at NYU, um, where I did the music business program, were just like, mm, yeah, I don't know about this. Um, except for one professor, he taught this class called concert business, and he was just like, I got you. And he put me in touch with a local production manager. Um, and that's how I started my production work. I was literally his intern. I remember doing accounting class from like 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. and then being in New York City venues from midday to midnight almost every single day.
0: I love that. Um, Where are you from originally?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So I was born in Israel. I grew up in Bucharest, Romania, uh, and then I moved to New York City for NYU and lived in New York for 10 years while I was touring. I'm currently speaking from Durham, North Carolina, where I go to grad school at Duke.
0: Amazing. So did that... um Did that concert industry, or I forgot the name of the class, but did that professor help get you the internship at Bowery Presents, or how did that happen?
1: He just connected me to uh, one of the production managers, Tony Melchior, um, and he introduced me in an email, and Tony was like, come to the Beacon, and I rolled up, and he's like, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, of course I want to do this. Uh, He's like, all right, well, come to this show. Um, And that's how I started working a couple days a week um, as a runner. Uh, literally the person who just like gets people sandwiches in the morning. Um, And uh, through that just got exposure to what a concert looks like, who are the key players, what are the hours, what is, you know, acceptable behavior backstage, what sort of problems can come up. Um, And doing that during school was fascinating because it gave me the opportunity to meet people, tour managers, production assistants, um, local promoters, um, so just being around was, was excellent. And as I went through school and I did more shows, um, I started working for Terminal Five, which is also Barry presents venues. I worked at Barry presents office for a little bit with their booking team. Um, and my thing was, I really want a tour. So I told everybody, I want a tour. I want a tour. Do you know of any openings? Um, and just made that super known. Um, so when I was finally graduating school, I was ready to hop on and another tour manager who I've met working as a production assistant kept in touch with me and was like okay we're ready like we need a production assistant and a merch person which was the first thing I did so don't worry if you have to start up merch um and uh and that's how I got my first tour by being present and being persistent
0: I love that so when um when the beacon theater person said to you like are you ready for this like like, what specifically did you or your professor say you were interested in? Because obviously, you were working on the venue and the concert promoter side in those early days. But you were just like, I want to get into touring and live shows. Or like, do you remember? Was there a specific thing that you said?
1: Um, I was particularly interested in, in in the production elements and more of the technical elements. How do you put together a show? How do you get everyone? What are the different roles? Um, and, and how do you, you know, I sort of looked at it, as an engineering problem, you have like sound and lighting and staging and the artists and, um, travel and all of the logistics and the operations. That's what really
0: spoke to me at the time. Amazing. And I don't, you know, I would hope that people wouldn't overlook the job of a runner, but it's like, all of this stuff is so important. And, you know, you could be like, oh, I'm a runner, whatever. Or you could pay attention to like, um, you know, oh my gosh, I put dairy in this and they have a dairy allergy or something. You know what I mean? Like that's such a important way to start to learn details and the importance of it. So um, I love that you've literally not only worked your way up, but I also think it's really important that um, that you worked on the promoter side. Um, yeah, the, totally. The, um, some of the first, because I used to tour manage and some of the first crew people I hired all came from the Paradise Rock Club in Boston, where I was going to school and I ripped ripped tickets and did the guest list. And so those were the production people I I knew, so I hired them. And that ended up being, I I can't take credit for this, but a, a great decision in hindsight because hiring a house sound person, when you hire a house sound person and lighting person to tour they know how they like to be treated by touring sound people and how they don't like to be treated. So I'm, I'm, it's not really a question, but I'm so glad you had that experience working for Bowery.
1: Oh yeah. And a lot of the Bowery presents production assistants are currently on tour. Um, the ones that I worked with at the time are all doing incredible things right now. So yeah. And you know what, like a good runner makes or breaks the day for me to be honest as a tour manager. Um, So I really, really appreciate when people pay attention or when people ask questions or when they're interested about things, it really, it really stands
0: out. A hundred percent. You mentioned, uh, you know, learning what is appropriate and inappropriate behavior backstage. What would, and let me say this too, like, I'm I'm sure you've gotten this question a million times, like people, you know, like fans or whatever would always want to like get backstage. I'm like, for, for me, I would be like, it's a bunch of Production people on laptops. It's not really that exciting. But what would inappropriate backstage behavior be? And, and, you know, for a crew member, let's say for a crew member, because that's what this this episode's about.
1: For a crew member, you know, I think you have to remember that this is a working area. Uh, There's so much... uh allure to backstage right it's parties it's free beer it's free pizza it's the artist it's whatever so you know anytime anyone comes in with that attitude it's just really distracting because we're all trying to work and often we don't have time or space sometimes my production office is literally like with the artist next to me and so um you know, I really try to keep the area clean and quiet and respectful because touring is hard. It's hard on the artists. It's hard on the crew. Um, so trying to make it feel like home instead of party zone is critical.
0: I love that. And you also mentioned you did merch and I talked about how, like I said, there was a young woman, um, that I talked to years ago, um, who wanted to be a tour manager and said, Oh, I guess I'll just suck it up and do merch. And I was like, suck it up like cuz I started as a merch person as well and like I got really into that you know like I I worked with a band called for, I toured with multiple artists but the main band I toured with uh were the Dresden Dolls and so I started as their merch person and I made sure that merch table looked gorgeous I engaged with the fans you know like this was kind of like at the cusp of the internet so I was kind of the conduit of information, you know, like of upcoming tour dates and a friendly face at the table. And I also helped them build a a really massive and now lucrative email list. Because when people were, you know, mulling around the merch table, I'd be like, oh, do you want to sign up for the email list? So um, any thoughts on, you know, starting out at, you know, when you started out doing merch?
1: Absolutely. There's so many ways to be creative and be involved just because you're there. So take advantage of it. I know I started as merch, but I also went up to the tour manager and the production manager at the time. And I was like, hey, how can I help? Is it setting up dressing rooms? Is it icing the buses? Is it, you know, doing promo with the artist? Like none of those things are merch job descriptions. But because I got my work done quickly, efficiently, and everything was set up and I had just hours of the day to kill, I made myself useful and I learned everything that I could possibly learn, especially on that first tour.
0: Exactly. And I, and also like, you know, learning every learning everything you can as you go is going to make you a better boss. Um, I remember when I, um, was touring with nine inch nails, I mean, the Dresden Dolls were opening for nine inch nails and I was having lunch with one of their lighting people one day. And he said, do you know, why our production manager, I don't know if he said, like, is our production manager or or is so good or whatever. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I just graduated college. And he's <laughs> like, because Chris has done all of our jobs before. So he can empathize. And I think that's why, like, not to dwell on this, but that's why I was like so surprised to hear that young person be like, Oh, I guess I'll just suck it up and do merch. And it's like, you're not gonna be a very empathetic or in my opinion, good boss if you don't know like what counting in and counting out is, you know, and like. Um, all the important things that uh, go into all these details. So again, I'm, I'm really glad you had that experience.
1: Yeah, and I think the uh, attitude on no. tour is, you know, nothing really should be below you uh, because yeah. it's it's teamwork and, and it's a team and you want to raise everyone up around you. So That's I don't right. know, there's really no place for complaining or for, for negative attitude because it just brings everyone else down. So like if you want to be there, be there 100%.
0: Yep. I agree. So how did you parlay that into tour managing? Because I mean, you've worked with Broken Social Scene, Tame Impala, Courtney Barnett, like, you know, Sylvanesso. the list just goes on.
1: So um, after my first tour, uh, I did two tours as a production assistant, one with The Flaming Lips and uh, the second with Tame Impala. And Tim and Paula's tour manager at the time was having a baby. He just looked at me and he's like, All right, it's it's your show. Like, I'm gonna help from behind the scenes, I'll be advancing, but like you're gonna be the TM on the road. I was all of 23 years old, right as currents came out and it exploded. And uh, you know, you just get thrown into the water and do the best you can. Um, you know, the things that really speak to me as a tour manager is being calm. Uh knowing what to do next um, and then you know some of that all comes with experience but some of it just comes from being prepared so making sure you have all the information making sure that you're communicative to every single crew member and artist um, that's on your tour so that if something comes up you can deal with it um, and so yeah you just uh, you, this isn't really a job that you submit your resume to or there isn't really a formal recruit formal recruiting processes So if you do a good job and managers see that and your artists see that, um, that's when you start making a name for yourself in the field. Um, And that's how I got all the artists. And I was really lucky to be working with artists that I really love um, and that I enjoyed the music of and that were really, really lovely to me. So I would say um, I've had a wonderful
0: time. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a field that is, almost 100% um, relationship and reputational, if that's a word, reputation-based.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's how I get hired. That's how I hire a lot of other crews. That's how, you know, if I can't take a gig, then I will recommend uh, colleagues of mine who I know would be a great fit. And that's sort of how it works.
0: That is exactly right. And, um... Yeah, I I think people need to need to understand that Uh, that that's that's very, very important. Um,
1: And I think that's one of the things that makes it hard to break in because, you know, it's a little catch 22. If you don't have touring experience, how are you going to get on tour? Because everyone wants to see touring experience. And that's that's sort of where just being around helps and, and getting a gig at a local venue or being able to do merch or just volunteering and emailing and keeping in touch um, helps so greatly because if you were top of mind and I need someone, if I can't do a gig, I'm going to go to the person who's available, who wants the job. And it's very, very clear who wants to be on tour and who doesn't. Um, and who I can trust to do a good job because at the end of the day, it's also my reputation. If I recommend you, Emily, and you do a shit job, then, you know, no one's going to come to me for recommendations anymore.
0: Exactly. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very supportive, um, like group and scene the, you know, the touring crew world. I think makeup artists are like that too. Like whenever <laughs> like a makeup artist can't do something, they're, they're always like, Oh, this person's great. Um, so why don't you define uh, a tour manager and, and what your job was?
1: A tour manager, I would say, leads the planning, logistics, and execution of a tour. Um, And I really separate that into three distinct steps. So the first being advancing, the second being actually on tour, and the third being reconciliation. And so uh, advancing would be just doing all of the booking, making all the decisions, all of the budgeting for the tour. Where are we going? Where is our first city and how are we going to get to our second city? What does the artist want the show to look like? Is the artist really wanting like a beautiful light show or are they just okay with like house sound and lights? What does that mean for staffing? How are we going to make this show both efficient and profitable? Um, And so that's what advancing is. And it's, you know, booking, Tour buses, to hiring crews, to making sure that we have the right equipment, to um, uh, communicating with the venues on what time are we loading in, what time are we loading out, um, and and doing all the scheduling, making sure that everything is ready for the tour to begin. So that's advancing. All of it is done from home. Um, And then while you're on tour, basically what you're doing is supporting the crew, supporting the artist making sure that everything goes according to plan. Um, and then after the tour is done, the reconciliation of it all, making sure that, you know, we didn't go over budget, doing all of the receipts and accounting, working with the business manager to make sure that everything is well and accounted for. Um, I think that more or less, uh, you know, nails the, the technical role of, of a tour manager. And then throughout this entire process, you're also meant to be, you know, the person that, deals with any issues and troubleshoots anything that happens on tour. The person that just takes care of things if something goes wrong, whether it's, you know, uh, physical, technical, emotional, someone's having a bad day. I think a lot of it is making sure that you can see these problems ahead of time and dealing with them.
0: Oh my God. I mean, first I was going to be like, that's it. That's all, you know, like, cause that's like, it's ridiculous. I mean, you just, you just described like a 20 hour day, of course, but then I'm also like having my own memories. Um, you know, when you're talking about the emotional part, I, I mean, I'm probably going to give away who this is, (laughs) but I want to be like respectful about stuff. Um, but some of this is public. Um, we did have an artist streak at Glastonbury once and, um, kiss Connor Oberst during bright eyes set. Um oh my God. Bright I Set was this was a long time ago. Bright Eyes Set was not going well. I think Connor may have been drinking. Um, and by not going well, um, I actually don't have it has nothing to do with music. He was on the John Peel stage and insulting John Peel, who had just passed away, which is not what you do in front of an English audience. Um, so yeah, so anyway, I the next day I had an artist staring at staring out the window, just saying, I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. And we only had like three more days. So I had, I mean, like, obviously if someone totally wants to cancel, like they want to cancel, but I just was like, you know, it's three more days. Like I'm here for you. Like we can get through this. Um, but emotional or not, like what's, what's an example of another issue that could go wrong. It could be technical. It could be gear. What's something you've had to deal with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you about a day. It was my first day with this artist, first show, first time I've ever met them, and one, the gear was late for loading. Two, some of our gear just stopped working. Some of our rental gear just stopped working on stage during soundtrack soundtrack and um, zapped our bass player, who
0: I got, got
1: injured, and then found out that his dog died. Oh, literally on the same day. Terrible. Um, you know, you just get things from complete left field. Uh you know, and so on the one hand it's like, oh god, like this man's died, like that's devastating, right? But then also I have to figure out like how do I get this base amp? Uh, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere and we need a new one like right now in the next two hours, uh and just deal
0: with with both of those issues
1: simultaneously.
0: And how did you deal with getting the base amp, do you remember?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think I had the promoter call. Literally, everybody is, he knew, and yeah. thankfully we found someone to deliver something similar, and then made sure that we had a replacement for our next city that we could tour with.
0: Exactly, the promoter is your uh, professional BFF when you are touring. They are the answer on restaurant recommendations, gear, whatever you could need.
1: Yep, a hundred percent. It helps when they're when they're wonderful. <laughs>
0: And also, um, this is from my first book, Interning 101, where where we actually have a section about shipping. And I had my best friend slash uh, former uh, super pro merch person, Laura Keating, write that part. And she's also um, crowdsourced stuff before, you know, when like there's storms in Dallas and FedEx can't you know, deliver the box before doors, she offered, you know, had the band post on their social media, like, hey, free tickets for anyone that can go to FedEx and pick up this box for us. So you just have to get creative.
1: Stop. That's an amazing story.
0: <laughs> Laura's an amazing person. Um, how far out did you advance your shows?
1: Um, Anywhere between, yeah, I, I would say on average around three months. Uh, it it kind of depends, it, you know, like anywhere between six to three months. And it, it depends on, you know, when you get the shows, when you get the routing, how much production yeah. um, the artist has, obviously like you want to book tour buses as quickly as possible. And that could be down a year out. And you want to book if you're, um, you know, if you have a big production, you want to book that way, way, way in advance. But then you start, you know, over time building the writer and deciding on what, um, what goes into our production package and what does the lighting look like? What does the audio look like? What does the input list look like? Um, get everything done well ahead of time so that in three months, you can start three months before the show. You can start um, talking to the venues. Um, I would say for club tours, that's about average.
0: That's interesting. And you've definitely worked with some bigger artists here. Um, when I was tour managing clubs, I, I was always told, and I'm, what you just said is obviously exactly right. Um, but as far as like contacting the venues Mm -hmm. and I tour managed a million years ago, but, um, I used to be told two weeks out, um, to contact the venue and advance the show. So I would do it three weeks out (laughs) because people are flaky. (laughs) Sure. And
1: sometimes they wouldn't answer and I would, you know, touch base. I think, I think when you're carrying production, uh, you want to make sure that like you have their specs, um, so that it aligns with sort of what you're carrying because a lot of, the venues that you go to sort of inform what you are carrying, and so we want to make sure that right. it there won't be any issues, or if there are any issues, we can raise them up ahead of time. And so, the earlier that you do it, the better, uh, just so you're not wasting yeah. time and money. But, but yeah, you're right, like sometimes I wouldn't hear from venues like a week before the show, um, and that's fine, right. and you sort of at that point, you're like, okay, well, I have. If I can get to 80% of what I need and sort of the timeline that I want to have in my head, um, then I'm good. And if, you know, some people respond later, that's totally fine, but it's not going to make or break the tour. If I was reaching out to everyone two weeks before the show, that would be an
0: issue. Right. Um, I know you know this, but for our listeners, uh, you know, when you're you're trying to advance a show and you're not hearing back, um, pick up the phone. Uh, and if that doesn't work, uh, you can copy in uh, the promoter if you're in touch with the production manager. Like, sorry, not sorry to be a tattletale. Um, and if no response from that, you can copy in the band's agent. So just keep working up the chain. But obviously start with your, your point production contact, which, again, is not really a question.
1: Yeah. No, totally.
0: So were you able to keep wellness in mind for yourself for your crew you know for artists because touring is brutal like you said
1: I tried it can be difficult um especially on those tours like entire summer tours where you're just grinding it out for three months at a time and you're in festivals and there's no showers and there's no personal space yeah as a tour manager you have to keep wellness in mind for yourself and also for your band and crew if you're not doing well then you definitely can't See if anyone else is being unwell. Um, so, the way I handle it is I, and this is going to sound crazy, but I need at least eight hours of sleep a night. Like, <laughs> and I try.
0: I sleep nine hours a night, so I the try, over here. try
1: my best to make it happen on tour, um, whether that's Obviously, sometimes it can, but, you know, going to sleep early, waking up early when you can, for me, I found makes a huge difference. Um, Being active, even if it's just, you know, taking a walk around the block. um, Anytime a venue has windows in the production office just makes my life. Obviously, not very common, but um, just being in the sun a little bit helps a lot. And then, you know, my favorite thing to do when I'm touring is actually step out into the city if i can for even just the coffee um just go out get get google maps open type in coffee if you want to my my touring friend told me this trick just type in hipster coffee on google maps and it will always take you to the best coffee shop in town
0: amazing um and Um, and just go go out
1: whether it's by myself or if i take out um you know, maybe one of the crew members, maybe one of the band members make some intentional time for one-on-ones on on tour to just be like, Hey, how are you? What's going on? What are you worried about what's going on? Well, um, having, uh, you know, these talks are really helpful for everyone to make sure that they feel heard. Um, super important.
0: I freaking love that. That's amazing. I don't, I mean, maybe that gets done more often than, than I think, but that's, that's a, that's really important. You're right. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, Amanda Palmer and I used to, there's somewhere, there's photos of us doing yoga, like all over the place, like, you know, parking lots next to buses, like, so you can take a yoga, you know, in venues, of course, you can take a yoga mat anywhere. So that that's a pretty, pretty easy one. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, yoga mat, a ball, like a basketball. Um, We just pass around. Uh, What else did we carry around? not physical or a soccer
0: ball ball.
1: yeah totally um we would carry. sometimes we would carry like a a grill (laughs) and instead of eating catering or like going out we would just go to the store and buy um you know meats and veggies and literally just grill outside and that was a lot of fun because it gave people something to do and it also gave them a healthy meal
0: i love that that's awesome so how do you hire crew members and, and what is the process? So we talked about this a little bit, but let me preface this by saying, and this is un- unfortunately kind of what inspired this episode. Again, we'd we'd hired an, an experienced sound person who had not toured before. And they had a lot of questions, which was fine. That, that again, were like overthinking questions. And this is actually something I learned from my best friend, Laura, who I talked about. This was a completely different situation. But she's like, Oh, that person's an overthinker. I tried to build a uh, shed with them once and they had all the materials out and just kept making the plans and overthinking all day. And then like the shed never got built. So like overthinking can be um, to people's detriment. And I think touring is all about like practicality and what makes sense. And so we were really patient. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I said I would call it smart thinking. Yes. And efficient thinking, like Mm -hmm. what's the most efficient way to get this done? And sometimes there isn't even a right or wrong answer. You just need to make a decision and do it.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, But yeah, so we had this person, uh, we were, we were really patient, really supportive because like we're all obviously all about educating and we thought everything was great. And, and like the day this person was leaving for a tour, they were like, okay, pulling out of the drive, like emailed my business partner and said, "Okay, we're, I'm pulling out of the driveway. So excited! Here's a here's a 10 page contract for my work doing sound." And my business partner was like, "Excuse me." And I know that not everybody has the big picture in mind, but if 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 Melissa is a manager, is managing, say, I was going to say five artists, but we we can even say three artists, and let's say each of those artists have five crew members is she going to be reviewing 15 contracts and she's also not an attorney? So does that mean the artist has to hire their, att- this person like just way too much overthinking. And I was like, go out there, do a good job and then we can recommend you to more <laughs> for more things. Um, that's how this works. So um, yeah. So how do you hire crew members and what is the process?
1: Oh, wow. That's, that's a hell of a story. Um, the way I hire crew members, is the first thing I do If I need to hire someone, it's, uh, look is ask for recommendations, whether that's from artists that are similar in genre and style or managers from the same management companies, other tour managers, production managers. If I'm hiring a front of house engineer, normally I'll go to my favorite front of house engineers and be like, Hey, I'm hiring for this. Can you recommend anyone? Um, and between all of those people, normally something, something comes up, um, that's how I hire people. As far as, you know, looking at resumes, the, I've gotten so many resumes that are just like full of garbage, right? They have like your photo and your life story. (laughs) I'm just like, no, I just want to see like where you worked, who you worked with, how long you worked with these people and um, like a reference or two. And that's, it. it should be one page, no more than that. And it sort of gives me an idea especially if I am familiar with the artists and I'm familiar with the management and I know what venues they play, like what is the scope that you're able to handle? Um, And so normally I would schedule a phone call with the potential um, crew member. I would, you know, ask them about their history. I would ask them if they had any questions. I think you're right. Like seeing what questions other people have is very, very informative. Um, I would then talk to people who have worked with them. And often that's, you know, a simple, like, yep, they rocked. It was awesome. Or here's some issues, but maybe those issues aren't relevant to the type of tour that we're trying to do. Um, and that's, that normally is, is how I, how I would work. And, you know, all that is to say is that sometimes you hire someone and they have glowing recommendations and, it doesn't work out not because they're not good or not because they're not, you know, a good sound engineer. Sometimes they just don't fit. Um, Sometimes it's because it's such, and and that's happened to me, you know, like I came on a tour and I was clearly not the right fit for that tour. And I I had to leave and it's not, you know, you just can't take these things personally. There's a lot of turnover in touring, like a lot of, there's high turnover Mm -hmm. in touring. Um, And you sort of have to realize that not every artist, works the same way. Not every tour manager works the same way. Um, different, you know, tours function differently. And sometimes it's just your personality. Sometimes it's the way that you work. Sometimes um one thing can work well for one tour and just like be disastrous for another tour sometimes you don't realize until you're actually touring that like hey my skill set is not what this tour needs right now it needs actually like x y and z and we didn't figure this out until we were literally on the bus um and those are all i feel like valid valid reasons to be, you know be like hey you know what this isn't working out or stepping down and not you know getting fired or like firing someone is always just like A terrible terrible feeling but I think in touring specifically like you just can't take it personally
0: no which is good advice for the entertainment industry and life period
1: yeah yeah
0: absolutely um and then also just to like again reiterate what we keep saying it's like so this person did eventually end up we had we had you know had to leave the tour and so I text I, I should have texted you (laughs) Um, I texted a, a, a tour manager friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in a while. I said, hey, are you still in the game? We just had a sound person leave the tour. They were also driving. He had three names for me in like 15 minutes because he's, and you are too, like, because he's tapped into that scene and that circle. And so again, it's about reputation, relationships, not, it's not about you, actually, you know, like you are there. To do a good job, you are you are working for the artist, and you also report to the tour manager. And again, I think there was there was some confusion. And I'm, this is the last thing I'll say about this situation. Um, um, the artist on this tour, like, said, a- again, I won't go into specifics, but it was like, I have like my one thing is that this piece of gear needs to be here, and it never gets moved. And it ended up getting moved. And the tour manager by this crew member and the tour manager talked to the crew member and the crew member's response is, well, that's not how I would have done it. (laughs) And it's like, and I, I, you know, and it's interesting because I'm like having flashbacks um, to my touring days. I mean, I I had amazing crews for the most part, but again, like you, I was very young and we brought on an experienced lighting designer um, who's not Jeff Maker that's going to be on later in this episode, who was older than me. And just really condescending, really disrespectful, and it sucked, you know? So, you know, hierarchies, especially in touring, I think, don't exist for power structures. Again, they exist for efficiency because you're trying to get things done. So what is a good crew member and what is a not-so-good crew member?
1: I think a good crew member is... Someone who is engaged, first and foremost, who wants to be there. Um, Someone who knows their job and who knows their space and who knows their lane. Someone who is able to interact with the other crew members, the tour manager and the artists. And the local crew, um, just efficiently, respectfully. um, Someone who just, I like to say, gets their shit done. Someone who is communicative, I think. If there's issues, I don't want to hear it third hand. I want you to come directly to me and be like, hey, this is oh, what's yeah. going on. Can you fix this? Because, mm-hmm. honestly, like, uh, I just don't have the capacity for, like, bitching <laughs> on tour. Yeah. Um, and I think a good crew member is someone with just, like, a good attitude. If something goes wrong, which inevitably will. If something, you know, just being like, okay, you know, this happened, and, like, here's how we can solve this. Um, and finally, someone who is willing to... Within reason, you know, just jump in and solve things, even if yes. it's not your, even if it's not your job, even if you know, you. I think teamwork is so 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 important, and being able to work as in a team is so important. Mm-hmm. It's such an important part of being a touring crew, um, and so you know, you asked what a not-so-good crew member as, like, you know, someone who doesn't do any of those things, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've worked with phenomenal engineers and designers who are just a pain to be around. And it's like, well, you know, exactly. you're, yes, it sounds amazing, but, but it just you just suck the soul out of this tour, and I don't want to yeah. be around you. Um, and so, you know, I think that sometimes it's a balance of being a good person, being easy to be around, because it's not like you're able to, it's not a regular job when you just check out at 6 p.m. and go home and you're like, man, Jeff from accounting, like, fuck that guy. Um, you're with these people all the time. You're sleeping with them and eating with them and hanging out with them and working with them and there's just no break and there's no privacy. Um, so... I guess to top this off, it's, it's just really a balance between all of these qualities that make a great crew member.
0: Yeah. And again, I mean, this, I talk about this when, you know, teaching people like how to get support slots, like artists and stuff, like people want to tour with people they like, whether it's crew members or artists. And again, with, with the kind of different roles, like, um, you know, you're there, to take care of the artist. And in turn, the artist is gonna take care of you for the long term. You know? So if, if you're being a diva or you're sending 10-page contracts, even though I know that was well intended, like that person clearly thought they had to like protect themselves. But it's like, no, you're making this a pain for a man, for the manager, for the artist, and like you need to be there to support them. And like I said, then they're gonna recommend and support you. And, and one last quick story that's coming to mind. I was on a big tour and, um, you know, the band I was tour managing was opening and we had a sound person, um, that was definitely a diva. And, um, the sound, you know, I walked in, it was, it was like a, an arena. It was a huge, huge, huge venue. And our sound person was yelling at the band and saying, this is my sound check. And I remember seeing the headlining artist's crew, which included like Radiohead Sound Person, just being like, oh my God, you know? And literally, I remember like one of the musicians just like sinking behind the drum kit, you know? So, again, like you are there to support the artist. And if you do that, like we keep talking about, you're going to get more work, you're going to have a good reputation. And that's how this stuff works.
1: Sure. Um, and, you know, at the sort of defense of this person who sent you a contract. I feel like you should always, <laughs> yeah. you should have a contract, you know, maybe not like right as you're pulling out of the driveway, but there's been a lot of, you know, exploitative incidents in touring a lot of, you know, there isn't HR, you don't have HR to complain to. So you really right. do, you, I think that, you know, it's important to know how much you're worth, what you're worth, what you can deal with and be able to stand up for yourself against, you know. Managers against agents against the artist even sometimes but you know not in a way that not not where you're yelling at them on stage but just
0: no <laughs> you know that was a different person
1: especially at a as a woman I think it's really really important to know your self worth um, you know financially and then also be able to set boundaries because a lot of people in this industry if <laughs> you know there have been incidences of people taking advantage, right? That's not, un- That's not unheard of.
0: Yeah. So At will- the same time, when we had to let this person go and I contacted a tour manager friend and said, we need a front of house slash driver. Here's the rate. Like that was almost all the information they needed besides the routing. Sure. You know what I mean? So I I agree with you. It's like, get it in writing. Agree to like, this is the rate. Um, this is the per diem I'm getting on top of that this is the routing, you know, like I'm getting paid this, this much for advance work. Absolutely agree to terms, but you don't need to send a record company length contract when you're uh, doing sound and driving, in my opinion.
1: I wouldn't even know where to get that, to be honest.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. So why did, I retired from tour managing at 23. Uh, Why did you stop tour managing?
1: I am currently pursuing my MBA at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. Um, So, you know, COVID half-forced retirement. But at the same time, I just felt myself interested in other things, um, wanting to do more. I looked at people 10 years my senior in the role, and there wasn't much else that they were doing. Like, yes, you could work for bigger artists, bigger productions. I felt like I sort of mastered and hit the ceiling, of the work that I was doing and also that my values kind of shifted whereas when I was younger I really wanted to travel and I wanted to work internationally and um, I kind of just missed my bed uh, <laughs> honestly yeah. and so I was looking at a way to transition out business school seemed like an incredible opportunity where I can strengthen some strategic skills um, learn from Other industries, it was never my intention to leave music at all. I wanted to take a step back, um, surround myself with people that weren't agents, artists, and labels, right? Um, My colleagues at business school work in the energy field. They work in nonprofits. They work in banking. So taking best practices and learning from other people and bringing those back into the music industry was really something that um, I was interested in. Um, At the time, this was, God, uh, January 2020, So before COVID is when I applied to business school.
0: Amazing. I know.
1: And I was like, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. I have a lot of dates coming up. I have massive tours. It would be, you know, maybe uh, I'll apply, but I'll defer and we'll see how the year goes. And then March hit and... I remember this so vividly because March 14th, every single one of my clients called and they were like, well, so we're canceling the entire tour. Everything is canceled. Like all the dates, hundreds of dates just canceled. And I was like, oh, God, what am I going to do? And 10 days later, Duke called me and they were like, you're in. Uh, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to business school now. Um, and That's so, incredible. Yeah, it's been strange. It's been very interesting like the growth has been phenomenal both personal growth and professional growth um but you almost shed an identity um you know I was you Nomi, know me the tour manager worked in the music industry cool. um suddenly I'm surrounded by people like I had to explain to someone who Tame Impala was and I was like oh god this is
0: weird
1: exactly um
0: yeah
1: and priorities here are different values here are different. And What does that, what does it mean that I worked on my career for 10 years and suddenly I'm doing something else? Um, what does it mean about my last 10 years, about my successes and my failures? But, you know, I feel like I can take the skills that I learned in tour managing and in the music industry and apply, I'm applying them here. So anything like, you know, time management or working in teams, uh, all the reputation stuff that we talked about just getting shit done has been incredible. Um, the entire process has been incredible. So I graduate in May. Um, and then the, the overall goal is still to go back into the music industry in some way, shape or form, but I'm actually going to take, uh, two years to go into management consulting first, which very similar to touring. You work in a team, you travel a lot, you solve problems. Um, but, you know, my touring colleagues always tell me, you know what, like, don't worry about it. Like do what you got to do. Touring will always be there. There is always a demand for experienced, knowledgeable tour managers. Um, so I guess this is my hiatus.
0: That's right. And the first part of your story of why you stopped literally mirrors mine. And um, I mean, when I started touring, I, like I said, I started doing merch. I literally like grew up professionally with the Dresden dolls and, Um, I mean, when I was, you know, when we were on that Nine Inch Nails tour, like that literally was the day, like we were at Coachella starting a three continent tour with them. I did graduate, but the day I was supposed to walk in my graduation ceremony Uh and like I was in tears on that tour bus the first day, like the band had new business managers. They were demanding all these spreadsheets. Like I was dealing with a million things. And then within three years, I wasn't challenged by it anymore. Um, and, 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 and again, I had the same motivations of like, I, I want to travel. I want to go to all these festivals. Like this is what I, what I want to do. And then, um, I, I know I have a journal entry a few years later that I, I'm sure I wrote in a bus bunk just saying, I just want to be alone. I just want to be, alone, I just want to be alone. So that reminded me of your, of your bed thing.
1: Sure. But you know what? Like I miss it a lot. I miss the people sure. I miss it is a challenging career where you think on your feet all the time and it is creative in ways that, you know, many things aren't and you're not the artist on stage obviously, but you're the one putting it together. So there's a great sense of, you know, intrinsic value and motivation that comes along with being a tour manager. Like I wouldn't trade these last 10 years for anything. I think it was, I've met the best people and I've had the most amazing experiences. Um, And for me, it was just I was ready for something new. And I wasn't really sure what it was going into business school. But I'm super thankful that business school gave me the opportunity to expand my horizons and explore different things and see what works and also see what doesn't work for me. And I think that, you know, people say life is short. It's like the longest damn thing there is. Um, I'm excited to learn and be moving and grow Professionally, personally, um, I will always love the music industry and I don't think that I could ever truly tap out of it. It's kind of like Stockholm syndrome, You're so, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. You're so right though. I mean, the, and, um, I haven't recorded this yet. I'm interviewing, uh, Jeff Maker, who's a lighting designer I toured with next, but, um, the people I toured with are family. You know, like I haven't toured in a long time and when I see any of them, it's it's inside jokes and memories and, and, and yeah, so you're exactly right. And then again, I know we talked about this, but just the skills that you gain from it. I mean, time management, working remotely. I'm really good at um, getting upgraded on flights and sure. stuff. So I mean, you're going to, you already are like applying that in business school and it's it's going to be so um, beneficial both for you and the people you're working with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: All right. So last question. Um, And I mean, this was like the point of the episode, but what advice do you have for those looking to break into touring?
1: Um, Be engaged. Act like you want to be there. Find a gig as a runner, as a merch person. If you have zero um, experience, volunteer. Volunteer at music festivals. Um, Do whatever you can to just be there. Um, learn, talk to people, keep in touch with people. Like I would just ask for people's emails and then send them thank you notes, follow up notes, updates every six months. Hey, this is what I'm doing. What are you doing? Just, you know, keep engaged with social media. It's so easy to talk to people. Yeah, It's so easy to follow someone on Twitter, Instagram and be like, Hey, this is awesome. Like I see what you're doing. Uh, keep it up. Um, and then just be smart about things. Tell people that you want to tour make it known, um, make friends with, you know, your house crew. Touring doesn't
0: exist in a bubble.
1: So neither should you.
0: Absolutely. And again, like every, not everybody lives in a city, but like every city has venues. So, you know, again, I, I really value your experience working for Bowery as well as mine working for venues in Boston. One, you're getting all these touring people coming through, so you're meeting them. And then two, again, you can really have that empathy. So as much as it understandably might seem daunting, like how in the world do people get on these tours? Like, you know, like you said, you know, start... You know, co- contact your local venue. See if, see if they need help. They probably do need a, a local merch person from time to time. So try to get on that list.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if um, you want to work in a technical field, whether it's sound or lights, look for uh, local vendors who will teach you the trade. Um, you know, just pack up some gear and load it into a truck. See what happens.
0: <laughs> exactly. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nomi. It was so great to catch up. Emily, thank you so much. Uh, what a pleasure. Absolutely. Do you want people to find you on social or anything? Do you want to share anything like that? I would love it if you would write to me. Uh, you can find me on my website, nomi.com. Do you want to spell that for
1: people? Yeah, I would love to. It's dot com.
0: There you have it. Well, thank you again. This is going to be really helpful and I know very inspiring um, for those looking to break into the touring industry.
1: Awesome. Uh, Best of luck to everybody.
0: All right. Well, that is a wrap for the first half of this episode. Stay tuned where I'm going to interview uh, award-winning lighting designer, Jeff Maker, who's toured with All Time Low, the Dresden Dolls, and I haven't talked to you in a while, so I'm very excited to catch up with him. Uh, So again, stay tuned for that. And thank you again, Nomi. Hello, and welcome to part two of this special bonus episode, How to Be a Touring Crew Member. And I'm so excited to introduce my dear friend, Jeff Maker II. How are you doing, Jeff? Hello.
3: How are you? I'm great.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Um, So Jeff is a lighting designer, and we're going to get into all of that. Um, But let's start at the beginning. Where are you from, Jeff? Jeff?
3: Uh, Originally from Connecticut, uh, but been in Boston for half my life, and now I'm uh, recently moved to uh, North Las Vegas.
0: Awesome. And how did you become a lighting designer? I don't even know if I know that. I know where (laughs) I met you, but how does one even get into that?
3: Um, Well, it started when I was a booking agent slash website designer for some local bands in Connecticut. And uh, when I was booking those shows and going to those shows for those bands, uh, sometimes the small venues that they were playing, you know, they only could afford to have you know audio engineer slash lighting person. You know? So they kind of put up the lights, set it and forget it, and then obviously focus on the business, which is the audio aspect of everything there. So when I saw that for a few venues, I kind of went up to them and I, was just, I asked them if I could just kind of do something um, and they would, they'd be more than happy to show me usually. So I kind of just messed around that way for the begin with. So in no way, shape or form is that a a professional um, thing, but that kind of. Well, sorry
0: to interrupt. I disagree with you. I think it's totally
2: professional Uh, because,
0: because you were like, okay, I'm, I want to help these artists. I'm working with my friends. I'm working with artists in my community. Okay. Like there's a need here. I'm going to go learn it. You know, like that's exactly what we're talking about. It's just like, this stuff is all around you. Just put yourself out there and start doing it, but go ahead.
3: Totally. Well, I guess in the sense of saying, I wasn't a professional lighting person, I guess, is what I was born along the lines of that. Um, But it was just one of those things where it was kind of like a little, little something in my my pocket when I uh, moved to Boston to go to Emerson college. And then uh, when I got hired as a barback at the Paradise Club um, in Boston, um, Shane, the house LD there, he heard because uh, I guess I mentioned it in my interview um, when I applied there uh, that I did lighting, and I was just, know he's like, "You do you do lighting?" I was like, "Uh, well, not really." He's like, "You want to learn?" I was like, "I'd love to." So that he just basically, he's like, "You're going to quit your barbacking job and you're going to be under my wing now." I'm like, "Oh, okay, that's fucking great." I'm sorry if I'm swearing. You can um, swear. All right. Great. Um, so, uh, so he, he trained me at the paradise and then I keep giving me my own shows when I he wanted someone to, you know, fill in for him, and then, then access uh, in Boston as well, their LD uh, left. And then uh, David Hughes, uh, audio engineer to the stars. He gave me a opportunity at access to uh, do lights there. And he gave me my own room. Um, so, but Tim McKenna also, he helped me get me in all those venues as as well. So it was basically a group of, uh, you know, locals who, um, opened the door for me or helped open the door for me and, uh, allowed me to learn and grow in, in something I had no idea I wanted to do until I started doing it. And then, uh, luckily for me, I, 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 met you at the paradise and I know, you heard about me doing lighting and thanks to you, you recommended me to go on tour on my first tour in 2006 in Europe with the Dresden dolls. So the first domino to fall, um, was thanks to you and uh, everybody else in Boston who helped open all those doors for me.
0: Um, thank you. And I, lo- I, lo- well, I love that cause I love a lot of those people. Um, I'm trying to think though, like, I, so I used to rip tickets at the Paradise and when I was in college, and I remember you walking by me a lot, and I feel like you might have still been barbacking, because I feel like you were always carrying things and going by me. <laughs> Maybe I just worked there for a long time and didn't realize it.
3: Probably. I was always trying to... Uh, yeah, the, the beer cooler, I was always trying to stock that. And there was one time I thought I was good enough to bar back and do lighting at the same day, because uh, they didn't have any barbacks.
0: backs. <laughs> Right.
3: And then there was no one to do lights either. And I was like, "Uh, I probably should just choose one of these jobs. But they're like, you can do both. And I was like, uh, "Uh, I'll do my best.
0: Right. I mean, a small show. yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think it's I think it is kind of important to focus on one thing. I'm sure barbacking. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: was like, <laughs> what,
3: what stock? Now the show's happening. So that's it for me, folks. I'm going to be behind the booth now. You know, kind of. And then during changeover, once we're changed over, I do my rounds at the bars and make sure everyone's stocked up and everybody's good. And I'd go back behind the booth. It was a nightmare. So yeah. that, was, that was the first and last time that ever happened.
0: Okay. Got it. That makes yeah. sense.
3: Yes. Yes.
0: So tell us about that first experience touring in 2006.
3: It was mind blowing for me. Um, and it was my first tour in Europe and on a bus. So um, I, I mean, I I guess I, I would not count regional, you know, New England shows for a weekend, a tour, but the extent of being on the road. And I put that in heavy quotes for this time early on was like a van and trailer helping my friends, you know, and that was the extent of it. So going from that directly to a bus in Europe, you know, with a major artist who had just gotten off tour with Nine Inch Nails, it was, uh, it was somewhat intimidating and it was uh, the best way though. I felt now that I'm looking back at it, because I was with people that I not only knew, but you know, who I was friends with. And, um, <laughs> I tell this story all the time, uh, when I talk about it. Uh, but when I left my toiletry bag in the hotel room in France, like it was like the first day of tour of that tour. Oh, and, wow. and, uh, I was like on the bus and then I was like, Oh my, Oh God, I like, got my, my heart sank. Cause I was like, Oh my God, where am I going to get all my supplies? you totally. know, toothpaste. I'm like, cause of my first tour, I'm like, what do I know? I don't know anything. I was like, Oh my God, what do I get? You know, t- t- toothpaste or a toothbrush. And then about an hour later, Dave's like, um, I think you've sweat long enough. I, I grabbed this for you. So he grabbed my, <laughs> he grabbed my toiletry bag for me. Lucky, lucky me. But it's like one of those things where it's like lessons learned, but thank goodness they're friends as well. So, yeah. it's, you know, it's like a nice thing and it's to the scene to this day, it's like, I, I'm not going to forget my toiletry bag, but you know, it still can happen once in a while if you're, kind of absent-minded here and there, you know, I think a lot of things going on, but I don't know, just something I'll always remember. And it was great. It, it'd be just, and I remember the very, very first show was this massive festival in France. And I was like, okay, I guess we're going here. And you know, <laughs> so was it was, right uh, Europe,
0: was it during the day or was it at night?
3: It was during the day, but I remember it being in a massive tent.
0: Oh, okay. And,
3: yeah. And it was definitely being filmed for something as well um but the outside it looked like uh like a small town uh, vibe but the 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 festival itself in this massive tent it looked huge and then when you step outside the tent it was just like a mini carnival almost but like so clean and organized and just very cool um but it was like man this is my first show ever and i it just blew my mind i'm like this this is this is incredible so it it was great i just every every experience i had over there i was just taking pictures like a tourist and trying to drink it all in. Cause I was like, yeah, I, I never knew if this would be a normal thing. You know, I was, this, I was like, this could be my one and only time touring, you know? So I, I tried to make the most of it and uh, made a lot of good memories with everybody over there.
0: Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you, you reminded me of something from my first tour and we were just talking about my first tour um, before, before recording. Um, I think, you know, and I, I actually feel this way about the music industry across the board, but um, it's okay to make a mistake. Just don't ever do it again. Right. And sure. so on my first tour with the Dresden Dolls, uh, which I was saying was self-booked, it was just myself and a local sound person and then the two people in the band, um, they had a college radio interview. It was just a phoner. And I very naively thought like, oh, I'll remember that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then totally like blew that, right? And so mm-hmm. I put a system in place. Um, and, and this was before like, Um, smartphones and like alerts and stuff. I mean, I don't know, maybe we had some sort of, whatever, but I, I, I never blew an interview again. So. um, Right.
3: It just takes that one time and it's just, you'll never forget it. And it's like one of those things where if you're in school and you're in class and you learn a lot, obviously, but the hands on first hand experience of something, especially something like that, you'll never forget it. Hopefully.
0: Exactly. And so, um, Tell us what dummy checking is, because that's also going to help you. <laughs> not for, I mean, I use that phrase and people don't know what I'm talking about.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, for example, when I left my toiletry bag in the bathroom, if I had dummy checked, I would have checked the bathroom one more time. And I probably would have saved myself from looking like a dummy by not getting my, <laughs> getting my toiletry bag out of the bathroom. So that's the dummy check there. So you do you apply that same concept to doing it in a venue. So, I mean... You don't want to forget a lighting case, thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, in a case left behind is makes you look more like a, less than a dummy. It looks like a, you know, a piece of shit. Um, I didn't know.
0: It's so funny because I I never took the phrase dummy check so personally. Like you don't want to look like a dummy. Oh, I don't know. It's just like you double check, you just... Go double check it one last time before you leave the dressing room and leave the venue or hotel or whatever.
3: Yeah, always just always. I mean, it's triple check. You know, I'll go in again sometimes. You know, a lot of people do it. Um, I think it's just peace of mind. You can sleep better knowing that you're not going to wake up 700 miles away from an important case that literally has everything that connects the show together. So, you know, you don't want to wake up the next morning and look like a very, very big dummy. Um, if the show can't go on because you forgot something at the last venue. So dummy checking is, is extremely important. It doesn't matter who does it or how many times it's done, as long as it's everyone's sure about it, and then you can sleep well at night and you can get better rest. So the show will go off without a hitch the next day too.
0: Absolutely. How did you balance being able to go on tour? Cause like by then you were, you know, it sounds like the house sound person or sorry, Sorry, house house lighting person at Paradise and Access. So, how did you balance that with saying, "Okay, I'm going to be gone for six weeks"?
3: Um, the uh, big heart of Tim McKenna w- allowed me to keep my job with Live Nation um, at those venues as I left for touring as well. As long as I was able to train uh, substitutes to cover my Access shifts, which I did, so I trained a couple of. I had took a, two on. I took on two interns. Uh, trained them and uh, they were able to cover all my shifts when I left for tour. And then I would, I would return, I would split my shifts with them so that they just wouldn't be out of work. Um, But, you know, like bigger shows, you know, Tim would want, you know, certain personnel, you know, on the show. So I'd obviously take them, but um, it was a, it was a balance that way. And uh, most recently, uh, I was still working at House of Blues. I helped them open that way back whenever it opened like 12 years ago in Boston where Axis and Avalon used to be. And, uh, Tim, he's like, you want to do the same deal, uh, as we've done where you can leave and then you come back and you do part-time shifts. I'm like, that would be great. So he literally left the door open for me. Anytime I could come home, uh, he'd have work for me uh, if I just asked. So, um, the balance helped there, uh, with his understanding and generosity.
0: That's great. And, um, I hope you don't find this offensive, but I asked you to be the Dresden Dolls lighting uh, lighting person. You were um, the first lighting person we ever had, like once, because the band was getting bigger so we could afford that. I asked you because you were the only one I knew.
3: (laughs) Right place, right time.
0: Well, but that's why I'm bringing that up. Because again, like, you know, Nomi and I were talking about this in the first half of the episode, like, this is all about relationships. It's not just right place, right time. It's being there. Like you're down to bar back, you're down, you're down to learn lights at the paradise. Like I'm psyched to have a ticket ripping job in college, you know, I guess I was out of college by then. Yeah. I, I, I I had graduated a year prior, but, um, I always talk about hiring you and Dave Hughes, who you talked about, who, um, did sound for the Dresden dolls and, and was a sound person and and production manager, I think. Yeah, Yeah, he he,
2: he
3: was. Yep.
0: Um, I You know, I, I take no credit for this, but in hindsight, hiring you guys was so brilliant because you were venue production people. So you knew, and I, I, I want you to speak to this also, um, how you like to be treated by touring lighting and sound people and how you don't like to be treated. Maybe kind of explain that process, how there's an in-house, and you don't have to talk too much about sound, but like an in-house lighting and sound person. And then you guys, as the touring people in this scenario, come in and work with them. So maybe talk about that dynamic a little bit.
3: Sure. I mean, you're totally right when it comes to being a house person, then being a house person first and then going on the road. Uh, I think you you have more of a camaraderie and an understanding from the get go when you come into these venues even if it's for the first time or if it's multiple times, you know, the relationship of being a house person, the benefits have been amazing. I've made so many friends just being the house person, then coming on tour and then all of a sudden I'll see touring LDs who do the exact same thing I do, who are venue people. And I come through their venue and then they treat me just as well as I, hopefully I treated them, you know, at, at the venue, like in house of blues in Boston. So, you know, as the house lighting person, you want to make sure that any touring LD uh, they have the best day possible um, and just make, everything go up correctly, safely, uh, quickly. Um, and just make sure they have a great day and whatever it takes to do that within reason, um, you know, try to do that. And, um, I feel like that's a, any, like any questions they have, like you'd want a patch sheet ready for them. Uh, when they sit down, they want, they want to know if there's anything wrong with lighting fixtures, if there are anything wrong with lighting fixtures in the house rig, you know, so you just kind of give them all the information they absolutely need, answer their questions before they ask them, and then they'll just they'll just be like, this person knows what they're talking about. This person knows what I need today. And this person's probably gonna be handy to have around, you know, for a question, you know, in general, you know, and then maybe you make a friend out of it, and then you see them on the road, and it just kind of it's this big circle. And you just I don't know, it's great.
0: Have you had any experiences? Probably a l- little bit more mm-hmm. at Axis, I would guess, because I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, you know, obviously some artists coming through the paradise have of lighting people, um, but like, have you had any bad experiences, uh, when, when you're, when you were a venue lighting person, when touring venue people would come in? I feel like that's maybe a little more common on the sound side because they're probably gonna have a sound person first, but, um. Yes,
3: absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I try, I, I don't want to talk about anything too negative, but I have definitely had a couple of, uh, touring LDs come through a venue I worked at, um, yeah. All I'm
0: trying to and obviously <laughs> was, like, I'm yeah. to be like what should people not do in that situation?
3: Uh, I had I had one LD come through um, and they basically were strung out and mm. um, they were by themselves. They didn't know their own lighting rig. It tends to happen though, but this right. this is the, this is the only LD this particular artist had. Um, and you know, he may have been overwhelmed, you know, I don't know what he's been going through on the road. Sure. With this so you know, yeah, it's, it's right. easy to say, okay, well, I caught this person on a bad day. So, you know, right. but I mean, he just seemed, you know, but basically there, it was a point in the day where he was almost talking to me like a dog, like, like, not like, not, not exactly sit, stay roll over, but it was, uh, don't leave two feet from me at all times. Cause he didn't know how to set up his hazer. Or something,
2: mm. and I'm
3: like, okay. Well, I'm here. Do you want me to go turn the lights down for the house to open the doors, or do you want me to just stand two feet from you for the rest of the evening? Right, you know, kind of a thing. And he looked at me like, uh, no, just don't go anywhere. I'm like, okay. So we're going to delay doors for you. Nice. Kind of a thing. Yeah. I was just like, okay. It's, it's but it's, 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 I don't know.
0: That sounds like more like substance and mental health, though. I would say not someone just like being a jerk.
3: I mean, you, I've encountered jerks too, but I mean. <laughs> Again, I don't know if they've had a bad day. I, I'm sure I am no angel. I'm sure I've had bad days on the road where I've come across like a, a total asshole, and I, I, I you know, can't imagine. <laughs> that, honestly, well, I'm, I, everyone. But I hear Takes, you. takes what I say hand differently, hand. so you know yeah. maybe I'm, I could get short-toned. You know, sure. if if I'm repeating myself five times, you know, it's easy to do that. But then again, it, what if this is this person's first day on the job? And it's like, yeah, that's sure. not my fault. But the understanding knowing you know what local house people go through i think that comes back to when you are start off as a local house person you see you know what people go through and local you know stagehand life is not exactly glitz and glamour either so you, the understanding has to be there so you know if i've ever been short toned you kind of have to step back and look at yourself for a minute for that day and be like look it's a it's a show it's a fucking show we're going to get it off the ground, it's going to be great. The band's going to be happy. The fans are going to be happy. No one's going to know we had a a, a small quarrel here today, you know. So, and then you just kind of move on. And then who gives a shit later, you know? It's a new day. Yeah. But yeah, you'll you'll encounter those. Yes, I have. But you never know what they're going through, really.
0: It's that's such a compassionate perspective. And um, my tour managing motto used to be that it always works out. And yeah. I think even the stuff you're talking about, um, I'd like to think. Uh, you know, all those experiences has helped me with communication. And, you know, like I went to uh, a New York Mets game with Emily Brodsky, assuming, you know, Emily, and I wanted to like upgrade our tickets. And we went to the ticket window. And I was like, Hey, Ryan, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And I was very personable. She's like, I mean, we didn't like get anything special, but she like noticed how I said his name and stuff. I'm like, I'm just used to like people that are working production or putting on events are human, you know? So, like, you acknowledge that and you treat them like a human. I'm not just like, here's my credit card, blah, blah. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's, (laughs) like, the whole point of, like, doing these shows is, like, to to solve problems, make the show happen, move on. And I think, you know, like you said, like, it, like, you know, it can get stressful, it can get hard, you're tired, um, not always being super healthy or whatever, but, like, the more level-head you can be, just to solve the problem, the better, which isn't really a question. But
3: no, but no, it's a great point to say and a great point to make. I mean, it, it, understanding really needs to happen on, on, uh, when it comes to this job because, you know, whether it's weather delaying you, I mean, there's got to be understanding there, you know, you know, right. you know, uh, uh, you know, things happen, shitty situations happen and it's not like, oh. Shit! You should have known this shitty situation was going to happen. Now my days, when it's like we didn't know it was going to happen. We're going to we're going to fix it. We're going to figure out how to fix it, make it better, make it work, and then we're going to move on, and it's going to be great.
0: I mean, were you involved? This would have been two thousand five, so mm-hmm. you wouldn't have been on the Dresden Doll side yet. But were you at the Paradise when we mm-hmm. shot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh
3: yeah, I was there when the power blew. Is what you're going to say, right?
0: No. I forgot. (laughs) What I was going to say is, we had had a a show in Mexico City with Nine Inch Nails, um, I don't know, a few days before or a week before or whatever. And Mm -hmm. all of the band's gear got um, held up in customs. Oh, man. So we, like Brian and I went, and I think it was like a Sunday. um, So Brian and I went all around Boston just replacing the gear. Um, and then side note, because that was a DVD shoot and mm-hmm. there wasn't cameras on us when Brian and I were like literally going to the drum shop and like trying to solve the problem. So they did sock puppet versions of like <laughs> sock puppet, like trying the symbol and like shaking its head no and stuff like that. But you're right. The power went out too. Yeah, and you yeah. know what? <laughs> That show worked out.
3: It did. Yes. I remember there was a, it was a lot of, uh, production, uh, visual production for, cause like you said, it was a DVD shoot. Um, but I, I, I was just the house guy that day. Um, I know you had an LD with you on that, but I remember, I just remember the power going and me just taking a nap upstairs because we were all just kind of waiting for things to, yeah, to to either the power to come back on or whatever. I just remember that's like the main thing I was like, okay, well, we're here anyway. So, you know, whatever it takes and you're right. And the show happened, the DVD looked great and you know, it all worked.
0: How about this? Um, how, speaking of DVD shoots, how was the two night London roundhouse shoot for you with the Dresden dolls?
3: I, I mean, incredible. Cause it, for me, I was like, I, I is this, the, is this maybe the right term to, to use? The imposter syndrome maybe hitting me uh, when it came to that. Cause I was like, am I ready to be uh, mm. an, an LD for someone's DVD shoot? Like, I was, I, I mean, it, it, it was, it was, um, Eye-opening again and um humbling and i tried to take every opportunity i could to learn um and and listen to opinions on everybody that was there you know for it and uh i was just like well i know what i'm doing um you know when it comes to all of this so I, i just like i just got behind whatever confidence i had and uh tried to try to do my, my best work, uh, for the dolls that, uh, for those shows. And it it was just one of those things too. Also the side stages that were there, Mm -hmm. you know, with, uh, I mean, I know, I remember Reggie Watts was, was there. I remember, I know, uh, Jonas was there. Um, um, was Skip, I don't know if Skip was there. Was he? Yes. Everybody was there, but I mean, I, I just, those, they do those just pop in my head because I don't, it, it just lighting them up. And it was just one of those things where it's like, okay, this is a big deal for everybody. I'm like, yeah. okay, so, okay, this is, okay, so this is, we're just going to come together as a community. And this is one of the things that Dresden Dolls kind of introduced to me, obviously early on, but I think I take it to this day. It was the community that the dolls uh, had and still have to this day. You know, but early on to me, I had never really encountered that, but there was just such a, uh, an awesome community that they had with artists and their fans and everything. And you just felt so included. and they just kind of lift you up and they kind of give you that confidence. Like, no, you're going to, you're going to fucking kill this. And you're like, Oh, okay, great. I will. And then you do. And then you're like, well, fuck. Yeah. So it all worked out.
0: Well, I'm glad you had a good experience with that two night DVD shoot in London. <laughs> um, Cause yeah, let me tell you what it was like tour managing and basically production managing that. But I, it really actually does warm my heart to hear that you had such a good experience because I, I had so much faith in you and Dave Hughes, our sound person, and we all work together very well, that I didn't have to worry about those elements of the production, you know? Like, obviously, this would be more on the sound end, um, but it's like, if gear needs to be replaced or something, I might be involved in that. But it's like, okay, so let me tell you what's going on in my world. Okay. Um, the London Roundhouse is a famous venue for people that don't know, like, back in the day, like, in the 70s and stuff. And then it closed, and then it reopened, and... Um, do you remember what year this was? It doesn't matter. Like I thought, it was
3: 2006 or 2007. Yeah, it was between that there, way. yeah.
0: So, so uh, Live Nation uh, like remodeled it, reopened it, and we were the first show. Um, so we had this two-night uh, DVD shoot, and in my opinion, and and actually, you know, this isn't totally true because lighting didn't go wrong, did did not go wrong, sound didn't go wrong, but in my world, everything that went wrong could have gone wrong. Damn. So, like you said, we had a lot of people on that bill. Um, mm-hmm. pro- you know, I'm yeah. I'm like kidding, not kidding. Like acrobats, you know, like uh, we like, and the venue had a curfew. So I wrote an airtight production schedule. I was like, okay, we're squeezing everybody in. This is how we're making it happen. And I don't like say the curfew is midnight. It's like okay, wrote the production schedule. I will also add that the band's manager, my mentor, Mike Luba, was not there for a family reason or something. And mm-hmm. then Laura, Laura Keening, who um, is my best friend and was our merch person and basically my production assistant, she was at a family wedding or something also. So I didn't have my boss like, slash mentor and I didn't have my assistant, which would have been fine normally, but um, so a few hours before the show, Live Nation's like, oh, and, and of course I had advanced the show well in advance, right, and had all the details. And um, yeah, like a few hours before the show, Live Nation's like, oh, actually the curfew's 11, not midnight. <laughs> so I had to rework that entire, whatever, 10 artist production schedule and make everyone work. And, you know, Lube is like calling from New York and trying to talk to them. And but I think it was like a like a legal curfew, you know, like a local whatever neighborhood in London we're in. And then so I'm dealing with all this stuff. And <laughs> side note, uh, Margaret Cho is emceeing it. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, great. And we have a real celebrity with (laughs) a real management company um, who, and, and I was just like, uh, you know, so I was like so embarrassed about all that. And then it turns out that, that Margaret's manager ended up becoming my business partner a few years ago who I didn't know that well. And she said, oh, well, you were so great at the London Roundhouse show. Like, you know, you were so organized. And it's like, cause I was holding a clipboard. Like, <laughs> you no, know one was going, going on. So like, I feel like everything in my world, everything that was going wrong could have. And then I got a text from a friend who lived in London. You know, so I'd written the guest list. It was like an airtight, like 40, 50 person guest list, lots of industry, you know, press, all that stuff. And my friend, and this was in the early day, earlier days of cell phones too. And a friend who lives in London, who, who I'd put on the guest list, texted me and she said, oh, they don't have my name um, at the door. And I was like, oh my God, if they don't have Elif's name, then they don't, you know. And again, like not everybody had like cell phones and a way to contact me the way you can now if there's a guest list issue. So anyway, so I go to the, I go to the front of the venue where the guest list is and I just see our guest list strewn on the ground. Oh my gosh. All these fancy people had been come anyway. So I'm glad you had a good experience, but (laughs) like I said, a lot of that stuff is a testament to having such a great crew. I, you know, it would never cross my mind that there would be an issue with sound or lights or whatever, because I knew uh, you and Dave had it. So
3: that's why we're there. We're there to make sure you don't have any headaches and you can just focus on uh, the business.
0: (laughs) And strewn (laughs) guest list. Yeah.
2: yeah, (laughs) And And, 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 then
0: the last minute. (laughs) Um, So what happened after you toured with the Dresden Dolls? How did you get involved with All Time Low and um, where'd you go from Dresden Dolls world?
3: Um, Well, the ironic thing there is one of the uh, interns that I trained, uh, Ben, um, who who filled in for me at Access, um, he uh, hooked me up with them originally. He was like, you've got to get to know this band. They're called All Time Low. Um, they're going to be blowing up and um, I'm, I, I'm leaving to go to record label, uh, you know, to pursue, he was basically going to school for record label in the music industry.
0: I know Ben. But, yeah. The college yeah.
3: There you go. Uh, for, for people that don't know, I guess I'm just going to say that, but then so he wanted to go to New York for that. So, um, and it just kind of removed him from being able to tour. And uh, at the time I couldn't do it. So somebody else, uh, Sarah, who's a, a fantastic LG, she does, I think she's doing, she's designed Tool and Childish Gambino and... No big deal. Yeah. (laughs) Just some of the biggest artists in the world. Um, She was doing lights for them um, as well, but she was also touring with uh, the band Brand New. So, but she was going back to do Brand New. And so both Ben and Sarah, they were like, okay, well, Jeff, are you available? And this was when the Dresden Dolls had just nothing um, going on uh, for for a while. So I was like, this is the first time I've ever had that. So I I was like, maybe it's... Time for me to try this new artist, and um, I was basically filling in. Uh, I was either filling in for Sarah, or if Ben wanted to return, I wasn't sure. And then after the first tour, they were like, "You want to continue to be RLD?" I was like, "Well, I'd love to, but I don't want to step on anybody's toes here. This is not—I'm not, not going to poach a gig from somebody." So um, you know, if, if there's something there, we can come to some understanding, but only if it's all good. And it turned out that it was all good. So they're like, "Well, you want to be RLD?" So I was like, "Yeah," and. Uh, Twelve years later, you know, <laughs> I've been working them, working for them. Twelve
0: years later, twenty five thousand Twitter followers <laughs> later. Like,
3: Thanks to them, they're not, they're only following me because of who I work for, not because of anything I got to say.
0: Well, but I'm, but you are an integral part of that band and that team, and so that's that's why those fans know who you are. And you're a pu- and you're a pretty cute guy, if I do say so myself. And oh, and all those guys that. are cute guys. So yeah, they're I think all super
3: hunks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like I'm mostly saying this because um, one of my protégés, Mandy, um, like that's I mean, I know All Time Low through you, but like she literally like would like would um, spend the money that we would pay her on traveling around to see All Time Low. And obviously she's not the only one. And I would be like, well, do they play like different sets every night? She's like, no. I'm just like this is a this is a very loyal fan base. That's what it, sure. it
3: is. Yeah, they have a great fan base. And um the music is it's so fun to light. Like and they they give me, you know, some creative leeway and you know, they're very involved in it too. But um it's fun working with them and coming up with ideas and just I don't know. it's just been a great relationship to work with them.
0: I mean, not to mention this was in the early days of Twitter, but still I was working one night and I was like Jeff Makers trending on Twitter. Is this my Jeff Maker? Can you talk about
1: that?
3: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. Literally there was something we we were, why I don't because I we were literally wrapping up a show at Brixton Academy in London. And we're on our way uh, back to the hotel, the band, the, some of the crew that were left tonight, maybe, um, maybe one of the band members or two, Um, but we're in the van and all of a sudden someone's like, so, um, Literally, all of our crew were trending. So, and, right. I, and we don't. know, I didn't know why, and I was like, "This is my first experience with that." And I'm like, "What, what is going on? I mean, do we do a do we do a bad job? The show suck. I mean, are they calling us out because we're a bad crew? What's going on?" Uh-huh. So, yeah. like, so I was just looking at it, and, and people were just typing the names of the crew members to get them a trend, and that just how it happened. And okay. I, was, I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, thank you." That's
0: what happened. Um, yeah. um, and, um, that's what I mean by a loyal fan base too they're like, yeah. hey, we love the crew too. let's uh, make the yeah. crew end. <laughs> oh yeah no,
3: that, it was it was uh it was it was pretty cool, but it was just like, okay now now you're not famous or anything. it's just it's just a cool thing that happened
0: once well, then. you're all-time low famous all right <laughs> there, this is really random and like you know, I have a strong background in the sport of competitive swimming. Um, yep. UC Berkeley is really good at swimming. They, you know, produce Olympians and stuff like that. And so I don't know if there was a video or a story about this, but the UC Berkeley son was like five and said, my dad's famous in swimming, but not in anything else. So it's all about <laughs>
3: true. You're very, that's very true. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for so, saying all those nice things.
0: Yeah, Of course. So what's the process when you get hired, um, for a tour and have you toured with people besides all time low and, yeah. and
3: Yep, um, I've toured with the Dropkick Murphys, the nice. Click Five, brand new, the Gaslight Anthem, Boys Like Girls. Um, I did an '80s tour with ABC, Belinda Carlisle, Flock of Seagulls, um, and the Human League, as well.
0: With Billy Ocean on it.
3: Billy Ocean was not. I mean, you know, I would have been dancing on stage with with that gentleman if if he was, because that's, you know that's one of our favorite songs. From, that's the that tour inside
2: joke. Yeah, that? Play?
0: Yeah,
2: well,
0: I, well it
3: was, yeah, <laughs> it was uh, didn't Brian get a vinyl copy of it of the Boys? Maybe it's
0: not Did a story you? to you, so you take a whack at it and then I'll I'll tell you my memory.
3: Oh, uh is it the dance competition?
0: It was basically like we were rolling into London, I think. Yeah. I feel like it was London. It was a big city. Wherever we're rolling into, and you just blasted Caribbean Queen. I just got so into that. And I was like, that feels like a really random song. And I just will never forget this image of, you, like, dancing and singing to Caribbean. I mean, and we were 100% sober. I mean, this was, like, noon. So. Oh, totally.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Especially if it was a day off, so. Yes. Yeah, totally.
0: So what is the process when you get hired for one of those tours?
3: For, uh, it's a lot of who who you know and uh, how good the word of mouth about you has traveled um, in a lot of ways. But it's a lot of recommendations. I mean, like I was saying, like Ben was like, hey, and Sarah, they both recommended me to All Time Low and All Time Low saw my resume and they gave me a shot. And with the Click Five, they knew David Hughes. David Hughes like, he's like, I got this lighting guy, you know. And then with you, with the Dresden Dolls, like, hey, I got this lighting guy. Yeah, it's only what I know. But hey, you know, it's a lot of word of mouth. So a lot of that... I encounter that a lot um, in a way I've worked uh, like an artist um, uh, called Pierce the veil. Their tour manager came to tour manage all time low for a while. They also toured together for a bit. And then I started doing lights for Pierce the veil because all time low took some time off. So it, it, that was also a recommendation there, but it's, it's a lot of like, like I was saying, like the first domino, once it starts falling and the dominoes start going in different directions, you'll, you'll encounter people that want to work with you hopefully. And um, it hopefully just keeps the, the wheels keep on turning as they say, but I've just been very lucky, I think. And um, I just love what I do to a point where um, maybe that helps. I don't know.
0: Absolutely. And, like, what do you agree to? Like, you don't have to get into specifics, but it's Mm -hmm. like, here's my rate, a per DM. Mm-hmm. I mean, is, is there anything else like people need to know? Like, when it's uh, like, okay, like, go back to 2006, Jeff, and you get off, <laughs> and, you know, like, put, put yourself in their shoes for a second.
3: Uh, well, in 2006, I mean, that's the most money I'd ever seen in Weekly at the time. So, I mean, my eyes were wide open, being like,
0: hell. We- sorry to interrupt. I'm sure in that instance, we were like, this is the budget. And it sounds like you oh, we were fine with
3: it. Oh, I was. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, especially with, you know, my resume, I was like, you know, they're taking a chance on me, you know, this is great. And I was like, Dave, what do I ask for? He was like, you should probably ask for this. I'm like, okay. I was like, okay, great. You know, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but more so now it's, it's, you get your, you know, your rate, uh, your weekly rate, if that's what you want. Um, you had to determine whether you want to do 1099 or W2s with that artist really it's your prerogative. I do both. Uh, Sometimes an artist will say it's one or the other. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some artists will give you the option to to do either. Um, But yeah, once you determine your rate, um, the per diems, it's something that you really can't determine. That that is, I mean, as a tour manager, I'm sure in a manager, you know this, you know, when finances are set, it's like, okay, well, this is what we're doing. This is what we've budgeted for per diems. Right, You know, um, some are lower than others and that's just a budgetary thing or maybe it's a penny-pinching thing. Sometimes that's above my pay grade to know that information. So a lot of the times you're just like, okay, you just inquire as to what the PD situation is. And right. they're pretty straightforward about it. Um, and if it's a catered you know, thing, you don't have to worry about buyouts or anything, but catering obviously is great. You know, so yeah. you, get a, you get three square meters a day, um, which is good to know. Um, you know, um, I also own my own lighting console now. So nice. I do um, some, you know, small contracting there. Um, so that's also an extra deal on top of it um, that I can work out if an artist wants to do that with me, but it's not a forced thing. You know, it's always like whatever we can afford, we can afford, this is how much it is to rent this. If not cool, we'll just rent it from a company or I try to save as much money as I can because the same console I use anyway for right. my programming. Um, basically as long as you get the, the meat and potatoes of the deal, you know, in writing, um, you know, email is, is great. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that's, that's important there. And that's basically, and once it's agreed upon, you know, fill out the paperwork, uh, you know, find out if it's a biweekly or weekly thing, you know, whether it's direct mm-hmm. deposit, whether you want to check, you can determine that yourself. And, um, as long as they're paying on time, wheels keep on turning.
0: Exactly. And, um, something that you and I take for granted, but needs to be said all of your expenses are covered on top of that, your travel, yes. mm-hmm. everything else. Um, I remember a young, uh, a young woman, she was a student saying to me, um, yeah, this band's taking me on tour to drive and do merch and I only have to pay for my flight home from California. And I was like, nope, oh, like, you're not doing that. You know, nah. like, Crew members don't pay out of pocket. And that first tour I did with the Dresden Dolls in 2003 that was self-booked when I was in college... Um, you know, I, I asked if I could tour manage, I'd been doing merch for them locally and helping out. And, um, I did tell them, I said, I don't know what I'm doing, but I can sell your merch. Um, and then, so when Amanda and Brian agreed to that, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I don't know if we ever talked about this and I, I, this whole podcast is like talk about everything all the time, be open, but I think I'd done enough local shows with them that I knew my expenses would be covered, you know, like I oh, would totally. have a hotel and I would have food to eat. And, um, you know, like when the band would get massages, I mean, I didn't expect this, but like, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but like once in a while they would get massages or like they had a massage therapist friend or something like they would mm. include me in that. I remember when Amanda would like get some new like wardrobe stuff, she might, um, buy me a dress or two. I actually just wore that dress for Halloween Nice. <laughs> um, this past Halloween. Um, And when I came home, and again, I was in college, um, they Mm -hmm. bonused me 500 bucks that I wasn't counting on. And to a 19 or 20 year old, that's like a million, to me, that was like a million dollars. Huge.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Bonuses are big.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I wasn't expecting to get paid anything, but my point is, I knew my expenses would be paid for, unlike that student who told me, oh, this band's taking me on tour to do merch, and all I have to do is pay for my flight home. <laughs> like, so don't ever be in that situation, is what I'm saying. Like, all your expenses... Ha- like, for me in college, that was like an internship. I did not expect to be paid for that tour, but I knew there was no... Like, I knew I wasn't going to pay out of pocket, which... um yeah. So having all expenses covered is such an industry standard. Jeff and I almost overlooked saying that to people is what I'm trying to say. Sorry.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah oh, don't that, apologize. That, that does go without saying, I mean, for once you've done it enough, like I, yeah. I, like going back to 2006, when I had my first tour with, with you all, I, I, it was common knowledge to everybody else. But to me, I was like, oh, whoa really? You're paying for flights? Oh, right. Okay, This is something else. I'm like, hmm, King of the Castle, you know, like very, very excited about it. And um, that's the other thing too. Um, you can kind of um, say, Hey, I prefer to fly on this specific airline. If you're big on the miles, saving money on check bags, you know, that's a huge thing too. Um, so I, I kind of be like, Oh, you know, I like to fly with Delta, for example, but I'm exactly. like, I understand if that's not what you book, but here are my other frequent flyer numbers, but if you could, I prefer this, but you know, it's never like, well, it must be. Really. Yeah. I'm like, I can save you money on
2: bags
0: Yeah, that helps,
3: you know, but, um, you yeah. know, it's, they're usually pretty good about stuff like that. It's not a big deal.
0: The only time you have to pay out of pocket on tour, which happened, to, uh, to, well, not to me, but a tour I was tour managing is, uh, we were in Europe, and a crew member was out late, and it was bus call, and they weren't there. And we contacted them, and they said, "Oh, I was planning on staying in in Germany tonight. I'll fly to Austria or wherever we're going tomorrow." Which I, yeah, I, um, I would, which uh, was not the most sober decision. Um, and then that person had a very rude awakening the next day when it was like a six hundred dollar flight to get to the next city. So that will not yeah. be covered by the artists.
2: <laughs> Hell no.
3: Getting you
0: to and from the shows will be.
3: Yes, to and from the shows, to and from your home. And that's really yeah. all they really have to do for you. Whether that's... it's, yeah, if you're getting a taxi to go to a museum on a day off, that's out of your pocket. Like, yeah. But, you know, if you're going to rehearsal space or something and you got to pay for a lift or something or an Uber they'll cover that. Like there's certain expenses that are, you can obviously submit receipts for audience that may not know, but you know this. Um, But yeah, as long as you have receipts for that, but like personal fun stuff, that's all out of your pocket.
0: That's right. Exactly. And you know, something that uh, I don't, do you know Brian Spett, who also does lights? I believe so. So Brian brought this up to me during the pandemic and I think it's really smart and not something that is talked, maybe you can tell me if it is talked about. Sure. Um, He said, you know, when the pandemic hit, so this is a lighting person and, you know, touring person. And he said, um, when the pandemic hit, he said, my family and I are fine. I do have money, but I wish younger Brian would have put some money away for retirement. So even though like you and I are like, sweet, we're getting these weekly rates and we're going all over the world and they're paying our food and flights and stuff. Like there's no benefits. Um, there's no like 401k, you know, there's no retirement or anything. So, um, no, Do you have any thoughts on that, on what younger crew people can do, what we all should be doing?
3: Uh, I am probably not the person to say what we should all be doing. Um, I'm just one of the all. So I would just assume to tell my younger self, um, yes, it's cool to live where you live in Boston, but maybe it's cooler to have uh, more money in your bank account. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: That would have helped a bit um, just because – Painfully, I did the math on how much I've paid in rent in the past uh, 20 years in Boston, and it's one of those things where you're like, oh, okay, so at this age of my time, like this time in my life, I could have been okay, you know, like right. with a, like a house maybe bought and paid for, who knows at yeah. the time, you know, who knows when I would have saved that, you know, but... I, you know, it's one of those things I learned halfway through touring. So like at this point I've been able to, you know, at least been saving, you know, I think about retirement all the time, like looking into investing, looking into whatever it is that you feel comfortable doing to make your money work for yourself. That is a a, a, a massive thing that I wish I had started sooner. So I will say younger me wishes they invested sooner. Uh, Younger me wishes I uh, saved a little more and splurged less on G star jeans For example, so (laughs) that would have been, they look, Hey, I'm not, I looked all right. But I mean, it was just dumb, dumb purchases could have been limited, but that's the advice I'd give.
0: And I, I'm bringing that up again, just because I, like, I don't feel like that that's out there for crew members as resources. So we got to talk about it, you know, maybe you guys do talk about it and I don't realize it.
3: More so now i uh, crew is all, you know, everyone's talking about stocks and crypto yeah. and, and all the other good stuff that's out there for, because right. ex- exactly. We have to do it ourselves. We don't have a company backing us. Yep. A lot of us, you know, don't have the luxury of having health insurance provided for us through the job itself. So that's something you take on yourself sometimes. Um, it's just all one of those things you got to All
0: about. the time. I had appendicitis last year. I was out for three months. So thank goodness I had insurance. Was, right. That was probably a half a million dollar ordeal. Jesus Christ.
3: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, uh yeah, so that's it's good to have money for half a million dollar things that may pop up once in a while.
0: Well I didn't pay anything because I didn't have insurance. Well, didn't I'm saying if you yeah. don't
3: have insurance. Exactly. Yeah, no, nice to save a little bit too.
0: Because it's easy to be like, Oh, I'm in my twenties, I'm healthy, whatever. But Yeah.
3: Sometimes I'm just like, you know what? If the plane runs out of gas, I'm just going to try to set it down in a nice spot. You know, that's how I look at myself right now. Nice. So, you know, whatever happens, we'll get there. Exactly.
0: <laughs> okay. So back to the nitty gritty. Yeah. Okay. So you're hired for a tour. What is your process? Like, are you involved in advancing shows? Like, how does advancing a show work on your end as a lighting designer?
3: Early on in my career, I did advance a lot of the lighting for um, myself just because we didn't have a, a budget for a production manager. With uh, the bigger budgets, and we, when we do have production managers, they do all the advancing, and basically they've come to me prior to them advancing, asking, "Hey, okay, what do you need? Um, you know, what's the weight of this? Or you know, give us give us the rig that that looks like you know A, B, and C." Because a lot of venues they change inside, so obviously we come up with like an A plan, a B plan, and a C plan for setting up lighting fixtures or rigging them up in you know venues or whatever. Um, But, you know, the the PM will know what to ask before um, they ask it to the venue because they've already spoken to me about it. But if I'm doing it, I'll advance all of my own stuff just because I know what I want. I do send my own lighting writer to production managers just so I'm like, here's what I want. So they don't have to ask me any questions. So I try to be as thorough as possible, whether it's how much power the lighting rig has um, or is going to take, how much I need, you know do I need to rip my snake every day? You know, what does house have? If the house has this, make sure we have that. Or if they don't have this, we're going to bring that. And basically they know what to say. So um, I have advanced, but the budget really determines how much I have to do in that department.
0: For sure. So, you know, when you're touring, that is, you know, your family, that's your work world. That's, you know, you're, you're your own little pod. That's your life. Um and you need like we keep talking about like you have to work together efficiently and travel together and all that stuff. So what do you think are the best qualities in a crew member or tour? Like overall is a vibe and what are not so great qualities?
2: Hmm.
3: Um I guess again my own opinion on this, not saying it's the gospel, but I guess good qualities to have. I guess we'll start off with the good is um knowing and understanding that you're on a bus in close quarters with a lot of people with different personalities and different, whether there are quarks or whether they're just preferences or just behavior things that, you know, may not be something you're used to, but that's just normal to them. You know, something small, you know, could be big to somebody else. So it's just, I guess just having understanding of personal space on a bus, making sure your stuff is in your bunk, um, you know, during the daytime or making sure your stuff's not sprawled out in a back or front lounge. Um, unless you're the tour manager or production manager there's re- or the artist, there's really no excuse for you to have anything out unless your bunk is totally full, which then again, you got to think about how you pack your stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I think understanding your close quarters and your living space, that's a shared home. And uh, I guess just respect, respecting each other, understanding each other, um, and just being a good hang, like just hanging out with people, like having a beer and watching a game or whatever anybody's preferences. Hey, let's all go to a movie. You know, we love doing mm-hmm. movies. Uh, for example, with all time low on days off, we do uh, boat days, you know, or lake days. We'll try to route a day off to a lake or have a on pontoon time. boat rental. Yeah. Or like or sea dues or whatever. So it, it's, it's one of those things where having that cool hang with a with a big group helps those days off just be extra special as well but there are also days where you just want to be alone and you're like i love you guys but i need my own space
2: mm-hmm.
3: so being able to balance between hey i'm a good hang and hey I'm, i just need my own space is also good to do because you don't want to give the wrong impression even if it's just you don't know, give a shit you know i don't right. give a shit you know, but like you're like okay but it's good there's a balance there's, there's a healthy balance that you have to kind of Do And then there's some people that are just so fucking good at their job. They just don't give a fuck, you know, but you know, I don't know. I think it's just good to be a good hang, be really good at your job, Uh, be accountable for uh, anything and everything and just helping put on a great show. If you care as much about the show as the band does, I think that's, you know, the band or the artist, that's, that's a big, that's a big deal. Um, And I guess, I guess the negative things are things you don't want um, passing blame,
2: <laughs> not yeah. not not
3: having accountability is, is not yeah. a good quality. Um, I'm sorry, I'm saying um so much. I'm just thinking with my mouth okay. here. It's
0: really the opposite it's, of everything you just said. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Like.
3: yeah, just be respectful and and, and like. Yeah. Don't take up like if if the fridge is small. Don't don't like order a whole bunch of stuff at the supermarket and fill the entire tour bus fridge with all of your stuff. So we don't have anything for rider for the rest of us. You know, like there's there's that does happen, and I've seen that happen to some green folks that have you know done. That. And then you are like hey, you tell them nicely, and then hopefully they take that lesson out. because again, they have probably never learned that. Right. They, they don't know. So you just it's one of those things, especially also with like local crew. Like if you're looking for the do's and don'ts too, it's like you know it's. Um, you know, if they don't know how to do something and you're a touring person and you're like a, a local venue person doesn't know what's going on. It's like, Hey, let me take the time to explain this to that person. And then next time you come back, they're the wizard. You know, they know what the, they know what the hell fuck's going on every, every single time. Cause early on in my career, I didn't, I didn't know how to tie in cam locks, you know, an Avalon. It took, what's uh, a cam
0: lock? I don't know. I don't
3: know. That. It's, it's, uh, the power of, that comes from the venue into your power distro that disperses your power to all your lighting fixtures.
2: Got it. So, yeah.
3: And um, tying in, that's very important. You have to tie it in a certain order so you don't potentially die, you know, there's and don't touch yeah. certain things about it, stuff like that. So I had a nice touring person. They came through and he's like, have you ever tied in cam locks before? And I'm like, no, sir, I haven't. He's like, I'm glad you said that because I'm going to tell you how. So that's he basically, awesome. yeah. And he was so nice about it, told me how to do it. And to this day, I've never forgotten it. It's just one yeah. of those things. I also try to do that on the road because I had some understanding from someone that knew what the fuck they were doing when I didn't. So, mm-hmm. I, and you can't get pissed off at people all the time just because they have a quality that maybe doesn't be the right way. It's like, okay, maybe they don't know. So, I guess another really good quality, maybe just it comes along with that understanding is just help them, you know, know what they know.
0: I love that. And when you're talking about like overflowing the fridge or having your stuff everywhere, it's just like awareness of people around you.
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: Do you take wellness into consideration on the road?
3: I, I wish I did. I don't. Um, do
0: you feel like the people you tour with do or, or like maybe some of the artists or, I mean, again, you don't have to be spe- specific.
3: I mean, I can't really speak to that. Um, I mean, I, you know, I no longer really drink uh, al- alcohol. <laughs> so, yeah, I quit um,
0: drinking a few years ago.
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll have like, we'll have champagne or Chardonnay. We've we got to go out to eat. It, drinking is now a, we're going out to have dinner thing versus versus a let's get fucked up, you know, for, and then what the fuck are we doing? We have a headache for two days now. It's like, you know, why, you know, so I guess if that counts, um, not drinking anymore on the road, that, that is, uh, you know, that
0: totally counts because on the road. that's a huge uh, lifestyle change. Absolutely.
3: Um, so there's that Uh, trying to eat better on the road. It helps. I don't eat regular meals is because I'm, I don't let myself eat until I've completed my, programming and that's just on me so i I basically i will miss lunch because i just can't stop doing the job that i'm Mm -hmm. like i don't reward myself with food but that's not the way to think that's just how i think when i'm doing a job like i'm paid to do a job i'm gonna fucking do it but i also owe myself a meal but i just forget because i'm just too focused on the job at hand so that's my own fault it's just something i have it i have to get into so being healthier would be taking being more aware of my breaks
0: yeah well, like I said, I, not drinking on the road is huge. So that yeah. you do take wellness into consideration. Absolutely. Oh,
3: yeah. Yeah. I, I, there's a reason to live. There's so much going on. So, you know, it's, it's nice to be like, you know, what? I think I want to keep those extra years uh, tapped onto the end of my life, you
0: know? Yes. And, and like I said, feel good. Like, I'm very addicted to feeling good. I'm obsessed with exercise and local food. And it's because I like feeling good.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, my girlfriend and I, we've been going for like hikes, you know, like basically oh, in North Las Vegas, we, uh, we got like the park pass for Nevada. So we've been like going to like little hiking areas and just like gorgeous, gorgeous spots. We've been taking a drive with windows down. We're listening to 80s mm-hmm. music, Billy Ocean for sure comes on, but yeah, <laughs> we, we, we love, we love it. So like, it, it's been nice. So along the lines of being healthy and conscious of that. So the time at home, I really cherish it a lot more now.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. How has social media come into play for you as not just a touring crew member, but as a lighting designer, because that gets shown on all these fans, Instagram and stuff. Do you, do you think about that?
2: Oh,
3: absolutely. The, any artist that I work for, if their fans throw their phones in the air and are posting photos of the work, you know, visual work that we do, it's always great to see. I, I try to look for it myself, see if anybody got a cool shot of a, you know, a design piece or, you know, during the set or whatever. But uh, a lot of the times we have a photographer on the road with us and they're usually, you know, always on the spot, always getting the shots anyway. But I still, you know, you're curious, just you use like different angles and stuff like that. you can see, you know, people tagging, you know, you and in, in posts and stuff. And you kind of, uh, I don't know. It's kind of cool, I guess, you know, and you see your work out there and you're like, Oh, maybe I'll improve that. Or, Hey, that looked kind of good there. Yeah. Um, it just gets the word of mouth about your work out there as well. And, um, you know, the more people that talk about it, the more professionals possibly could hear about you. And, you know, it's another thing about it. It's another trail of dominoes that if it keeps on, you know, you know, going towards a destination, you know, it's nice to see where it goes and social media helps bring in a lot of people um, to see your work.
0: Absolutely. How, so obviously the pandemic shut down touring, which was devastating for yeah. a lot of reasons. Um, so how was the profession, you know, how is the professional aspect of the pandemic for you? And and, and how is it for you? Because I know you guys last year.
3: Yeah, it was um, jar- jarring. Yeah. Um, but we made do. Basically, we uh, left Boston because we were trying to just stay away from people, honestly, at the time. Right. So we left Boston in twenty uh, September of 2020, um, right when school was going to come back in anyway. Um, we kind of just we were just Airbnb-ing it, like, really cool locations and just being like we're not really going to say we're not going to post like where we are just we're just keeping to ourselves it's like who gives a shit it's a pandemic like no one cares about what you're doing right now it's who's healthy who's safe and how do we stop this it's not like hey look at me i'm at a bonfire you know i don't know like i'm (laughs) sure there's nothing against that i don't know but it was just you know we just kind of were like who gives a shit about what we're doing? you know so we just didn't we didn't really engage social media that much during the pandemic unless we wanted to say something because everyone, you know, who gives a shit what people have to say half the time anyway, but you know, if we feel like it, we say things now. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah. So we basically just Airbnb'd um, invested as much as we could in, in, in certain things and um, applied for some grants. Um, and just where I had, we basically, like we we're, like you mentioned before, we had a, a decent saved, So we were able to fall luckily back on a soft cushion and that got us um, not only through, if we're going to consider it not over-ish, but got us through the the beginning of it, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was able, once touring started, it was the perfect time for it to start, let's say, so that we wouldn't see too much of a a hit, you know, to what, what we've worked hard for, but we were trying to be as smart as we can with Airbnb and like finding really good deals. And, you know, her sister was uh, pregnant at the time. So we got a really good deal close by um, her mother's uh, place in Michigan on Lake Erie. So we posted up there for a while. Um, Like, like a family knew of a, like a great deal. So we got a great deal. And then like, it was just, okay, when are we going to Vegas because I'm never going to be home. So, Beautiful weather for the gal. And when I come home, it's like coming home to vacation.
2: Yeah. So
3: it's just kind of worked out um, that we ended up here after everything. And, you know, big changes, you know, were 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 coming and they were for the better. Um, unfortunately, the co- you know, COVID, uh, unfortunately, that had to be a catalyst for it. But of course, you try to come up, you know, at least belly up or not belly up. That's the wrong term. <laughs> Sunny side up. I don't know what the hell. The good thing. You want to come out good.
0: Well, we're extra fortunate too, because we're the age ages we are, like, you know, and I I experienced this because I work with so many students, but I'm like, if this would have happened to 22-year-old me before I was going on tour in Europe and with all these, you know, all these big I would have been devastated. And I I saw it. There were so many kids who were devastated. So we're lucky that we were able to stay safe and healthy and also, you know, I, I don't tour anymore, but... Like that you're able to just be like, okay, this is a break. We can figure this out.
3: Yeah. It, it, it was, um, it was, it was crazy. We, I, I also started doing some online classes, like helping nice. to mentor LDs. Um, the right. Old Time Low Guys started a podcast slash like, like YouTube show that they were like, uh, they had me help write and be on once in a while. So that kind of helped pass The time in a fun way with them just because it was like something to do every week and we had fun doing it it was just like being on the road but obviously through zoom or wherever so we we also did that for a while so that was fun and you know they they put a lot of smiles on their fans faces so that's really what they set out to do um in a time where that was impossible to do it live so they they thought that this was one of the best vessels for them to do because it's like they're on stage banters you know funny anyway and entertaining. So they turned it into a, a very uh, entertaining podcast. And I was just happy to, to help write a little bit and be on it once in a while.
0: You just said something that made me understand All Time Low a little bit more. If they are funny and bantering on stage, they are not doing the same show every night.
3: No, no, that's, that's true. The songs may be the same, but in, right, betw- in yeah. between, you're going to get a whole new joke.
0: Oh <laughs>
3: <laughs> usually
0: but that's, special. that's fun i can see where yeah. fans would be and i mean they're obviously into the music and more than that
3: but. oh yeah uh their uh guitarist jack he, i mean he's he's great um you know when it comes to banter with alex lead singer there it's like the dynamic duo back and forth um and then their bassist zach uh you know when he does talk he talks so rarely it's just like a big thing and the crowd loves it no. so <laughs> you know it's it's fun it's yeah it's great
0: yeah that's awesome yeah How have your years of touring the globe helped you in other aspects of life and career?
2: Uh, Oh, go ahead.
0: Well, like I said, this in the first half of the episode and you already touched on this, like I'm really good at getting upgraded on flights. It could be something like that. It could be teamwork, Mm -hmm. time management.
3: I mean, everything. I mean, I I don't know what, who the fuck I would be without the, Mm. without touring and the people that have taken me on tour, the people I've toured with have, Shaped me into, you know, or helped shape me into who I am at this point in my life, and also in my career. And I've, the lessons I've learned from people, the experience I've shared with people, especially with the All Time Low band and crew—like their old crew, new crew—you know, we've we've had so many life experiences, um, good and you know, a few bad. You know, everyone goes through things, um, whether it's personal, you know, you know. But as long as you are there for each other, it's just it's like you have this support system that you didn't know could be possible sometimes. And um, again, with the Dresden Dolls, like that support system was there, you know, with all time levels, support system's always there. It's a family.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And w- taking that with me, it's just, it's just, you, you kind of, I feel like you want to hug more people. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, so, not so much now because of COVID, but yeah. you, 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 feel, you feel like, um, uh, you're, I guess I, I don't want to overuse the word understanding, but there's a lot of that when it comes to, encountering what you do on the road and then coming home being like, you know what? Today's not actually not that bad. Or right. your, your, your worst day on the road is probably a phenomenal day to somebody else at home. You know? Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Um, yeah.
0: Love it. So what are you up to now?
3: Oh, right now I'm having a lovely conversation with you. Uh, We're in North Las Las Vegas now. We're going to be going to uh, a market tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to be working with uh, another artist this year that I cannot mention currently, Um, but that'll be uh, um, pretty much keeping me busy for most of the year. And um, just kind of waiting for that. That's going to be happening at the end of March. Uh, So between now and then it's going to be hiking, a lot of cooking, uh, enjoying and exploring North Las Vegas or just Vegas in general and not just doing the strip. Cause I, we don't really enjoy the strip, you know, we'll go there if we have to. Um, but we kind of like the mountain and hiking areas and where we are is it doesn't even look like Vegas. It just looks like, sure. you know, any town in USA with nice weather.
0: Amazing.
3: Yes, that's about it. And we have two dogs here, our little buddies. Yay. So it's fun to have them. Um, and uh Yeah. She loves hiking. I love hiking. We we do a lot of that and a lot of hanging, a lot of hangs. So, um, relaxing and enjoying the time home just because it, 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 you know, it's not, it could go away pretty quick when it comes to touring. So time at home is super precious.
0: Absolutely. What are you, what you what are you doing?
3: What are you doing? What if I ask you a question?
0: What am I doing? Yeah. Um, well, we produced the largest digital concert in history in 2020 hashtag I voted festival. Hello. Um, and so we're and it's all to drive voter turnout. And so we're doing it again. And um, I'll start to break some of my own news. I did share this on Twitter just because I was very fascinated. But yeah, we we're building hashtag I voted festival 2022 as we speak. Um, we so real quick, like we this is a good this, thank you for asking, actually, because um, I'm going to make a I voted podcast. Um, so I'm very excited about that. So that's a good segue for people. But we started, I voted in 2018. um, Because the 2016 presidential election in the US was decided in my home state of Wisconsin by 22,000 votes and change. It was decided next door in Michigan by 10,000 votes and change. And I'd read that voter turnout was down in Milwaukee, where I'm originally from. And I was like, my tour managing brain, my touring brain was like, 22,000 is our basketball arena. Why don't we put together a compelling concert and tie in voting? So in 2018, we activated over 150 venues in 37 states to let fans in on election night who show a selfie from outside their polling place. And it was an idea that just spread. We had Jim James of My Morning Jacket and Playboy Cardi and Maggie Rogers. And um, and it was just myself and an intern just reaching out to venues and being like, hey, do you want to do this? So we were planning for a big 2020. I was holding arenas um, in key states when, of course, the pandemic hit. So we pivoted and then, like I said, we ended up producing the largest digital concert in history. That was um, a webcast on election night 2020 with over 450 artists and fans accessed that by RSVPing with a selfie at home with their blank and unmarked ballot. And instead of just getting artists that we hope people will like or that we think that they'll like, we literally reached out to the to the top streaming acts in these key states whose electoral margins are often decided by the size of a concert venue so we're doing it again and um yeah this isn't public at all yet but i've um i've booked over 100 artists over the past few weeks for i voted festival 2022 Hell and, yeah. and just assembled our booking team to start reaching out for the data the 100 were just from our alumni list and i still have um, a lot more emails to send to our alumni. So that, that's my baby right now.
2: Very Um,
0: cool. Yeah. Thanks. And like I said, we're going to do an I Voted podcast. Um, I definitely want to do a second season of this podcast in 2023. I've been asked to do a second edition of the book this podcast is based on. So I'm going to have to write that at some point. (laughs) I'm going to have to do that at some point, but, um, yeah, just really, yeah, for 2022, it's all I Voted festival. Um, counting down to election day, which is the day after my 40th birthday. So that's what, so my birthday is on November 7th and I turn 40 on November 8th. So that's what I will be doing. But then I want to take the rest of the year off.
3: <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to be 40. I'm taking it off. That's it. Yes.
0: Exa- I'm like, I get to hang out with, with you all, my lovely team, you know, on my birthday, right. but that's fine. Um, so yeah, so that's what I'm up to.
3: Nice. Well, it sounds like a lot's going on.
0: Lots going on for sure. And I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm so glad you asked because like I never, like when, I, especially the 2018 version and like activating venues and stuff, like I never thought my tour managing experience could help lead to voter turnout. But because I speak the language of venues and concerts and promoters and understand the economics behind it, um, I was able to communicate what we wanted to do and make it work for everyone. You know, you know like when I yeah. thought of it, I ran the idea by a big booking agent and I was like, what do you, what do you think about this? And he's like, promoters are going to like it because you're driving people into their venues to drink and eat and stuff on a Tuesday night, let alone on election night, which is usually a slow night for them, you know? Um, So yeah, so there's, there's, again, I just, I just loved live music and wanted to travel and stuff, but um, it's amazing how these skills, you know, benefit us uh, for the rest of our life.
3: Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, that's also, it's fucking great work that you're doing. So, I mean, you Thank know, you. we, we we think we're doing big things on the road. Then you see things like what you're doing with that. It's even, it can only get bigger too. I mean, it's, you don't focus on the one thing. It could go any, any way you want when it comes to these skills that you learn.
0: That's right. So tell us about crash test live.
3: Uh, it's a comedy podcast slash variety show. I would say um, it, has like basically your weekend update kind of a thing with the, the like news that's gathered throughout the week, just weird, fantastical stories that have made it into the headlines. Um, they usually do like five or six of those. Then there's like a segment called uh, "Are You Smarter Than Jack?" which is who wants to be a millionaire, but it's basically a quiz show to see if, uh, if one of their fans can beat Jack in trivia. Um, as, and so it, it, it usually Jack doesn't win poor guy, but you know, um, if you, <laughs> win, if you win, we get prizes and stuff like that. Um, but it's fun to put the trivia together. And, um, then there's something called uh script where, uh, like we pick a script to read and the two band members don't know what it is. And then we spring it on them and then they have to reenact it when we give them things to do, like say it in a voice, like you have to read the script in Mike Tyson's voice or something like that. So they basically read a whole script, like from mean girls or something. And, everyone reads a part and does that. And then there's like, they answer a fan mail. They give like, a, you know, if, if there's, you know, fans going through any hard times or something during the pandemic, they were trying to give as best advice as they could, you know, they're like, we're not professionals, but if you need, you know, if you're having trouble, you know, we'd be more than happy to give advice from our perspective or whatever. So they would do that for their fans, you know? Um, and uh, I would do, they gave me a segment where I would come up with stupid, like five stupid inventions every week that were just impractical, but I, would make it sound like it's totally reasonable to have this product in your house. And then they would just kind of do at the show recap at the end. And it just kind of there's a whole bunch of stuff that it was very entertaining over an hour time period. Then they'd break the audio section of it off and then release the audio section only on podcast platforms, but YouTube would be the main vessel for the live performance of it. So it all be live, it would never be pre recorded either. So that was also something they'd offer that other shows weren't
2: offering.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. That's how I want to do Breaking News, the second season of this, this podcast, because one thing I talk about at the beginning of the book is um, I've spoken at all these music industry conferences, and so the, the information in my book is out there. I've just never seen it put in order, which is super confusing because the music industry was set up decades before we were born to confuse artists. So if you're teaching something that was meant to be confusing out of order... That's super confusing for the student, super confusing for the educator. And that's one reason why I wrote a book that's step-by-step and methodical. And then I thought, like, well, why don't I do my own conference? Which, I mean, no offense to conferences who have been so good to me, but, like, that felt like a little cheesy. And I was like, well, I'll make it my own thing. So I want to do, with the re-release of um, the book, which will be in 2023, um, a, a live work, a workshop. Based on the book, that's also a live podcast taping of season two. Oh, nice. Yeah. Super pumped about that. But one step at a time.
3: Right. Well, that sounds like we're back on tour then.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I want to do it in Milwaukee because I was like, well, where do I want to do this? And I was like, I want to help the musicians there. But then I can kind of slim that down into like an hour TED style talk and take it to South by or Brooklyn or whatever. So I don't know if I'll like hardcore go on tour, but Um, there's certain places I want to go and I'll go where people want me to go. Fuck yeah. So it is like touring. (laughs) You're
2: right. That's right.
0: Speaking of, and this is what the, so this is my last question. Um, this is what the entire episode was about, but what advice do you have for those looking to break into touring?
3: To break into touring. I mean, the way I did it was, uh, not the usual, but I think everybody's story is different. So I can only attest how I did it. So, Working hard, if you want to be in the business, you'll find a way to be in it. Uh, but in doing so, be respectful. And if you're going to ask, like, front of house people or any touring crew any questions, make sure they're uh, able to talk uh, about yeah. it. Uh, ask nicely. They're, I'd say 90% of the time they're willing to. I mean, the other 10%, maybe they had a bad show or a bad day. So, you know, just be respectful. If you're going to ask anything, um, that's a good way to start uh, knowing some things. Uh, obviously, read Emily's book. That would also help. And working at uh, local music venues, uh, you can't yeah. buy that knowledge. That is the best, best, best way to do it. So we we'll work for local venues. Specifically, you can start off as a stagehand if you want to learn audio or lighting or any other aspect of the business. Get to know the people at that venue that do those jobs. Say, hey, I'd like to learn. Is it cool if I shadow you? Is it cool if I do this? Um, if you're you know, a real go-getter. I'd never recommend this because you have to be paid to work. Um, But, you know, if you have some extra time and you want to stay an hour after and just see, you know, if extra lighting is set up, I mean, be paid to do so. Uh, But if you're, if there's no way to do it and you just want to drink the knowledge in, you know, get it how you can get it. And, you know, that knowledge could be turned into money down the road too. So, um, local venues, work at them, uh, pick the ears of local crew respectfully um, get to know people, become friends as best you can without being, you know, annoying about it. Um, and once you have the knowledge, the the jobs will come. You could also work for uh, local lighting companies um, in your city, whatever it may be. There's a lot of them out there. You can just do a Google search and find them in your, you know, where you live and see if they're hiring anybody for warehouse or maintenance. They'll, You know, it, it could all lead to touring if that's what you want to do.
0: I love it. You are such a wealth of knowledge and such an amazing person. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks for
3: having me. It was an honor and a pleasure. And uh, it's it's, uh, it's been nice reminiscing, too. It's, I always have fun memories of the Dresden Dollars uh, touring and uh, always puts a smile on my face. So I appreciate that.
0: Same. And where can folks find you? Uh,
3: uh, JeffMaker.com is still... Still yeah. kicking, jeffmaker.com. And this panel <laughs> <year laughs>
0: had his own website in 2005, people. It was to share. <laughs> photos or 2006 or whatever to share yeah. photos. Um, I'm sure you did other things, but share <laughs> photos with your girlfriend, which was very true, but most people did not have their own, you know, domains and websites in 2006. So very forward thinking.
3: It was, it started off as a college project that I had to do. Oh, that's, that's
0: uh, great. And
3: then I uh, just turned into okay. like, a, I was like, you know, touring journal. And then now it's actually my portfolio finally, you know, so uh, yeah. Jeff JeffMaker.com or at Jeff maker on Instagram or Twitter. Um, that's, that's about it.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you again, Jeff. Thank you. Are you. a are of acknowledged and it was so great to catch up.
3: You as well. Appreciate it. I'll talk to you later.
0: Absolutely. So that's a wrap for this episode of how to build a sustainable music career and collect all revenue streams. Stay tuned for my real final episode of the season where we are actually really going to talk about NFTs and not try to be like cool and trendy about it. But you all have been asking me that so i'm going to interview karen allen um who's a music technology expert and um explain to you that it's you know not good or bad it's about uh is it done well or not and we're going to talk about live streaming and a lot of other stuff so stay tuned for that thank you so much to matthew wong for composing this podcast music thank you to nathan kane for engineering and we'll catch you on the next episode have a great day night wherever you are thanks again